This is Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Great to have you with us. Andrew Patterson and Michael Remus. And we've got a real fun show coming up. Um, lots of more fallout from yesterday's press conference with Pierre-Luc Dubois. Looking forward to having Ken Weeb, who uh, started off the festivities with the first couple of questions yesterday. Weber will join us a little bit later on in the program. And before we do that, We'll get down to uh, more of the biggest story in the National Hockey League over the past week, the blockbuster trade between the Flames and the Florida Panthers and the two prized players coming back from Florida to Calgary, albeit with only one year left before unrestricted free agency. Mackenzie Weger and Jonathan Huberto met the media yesterday in Calgary. Talk a little bit about what they had to say with Darren Haynes coming up. And then later on today, really looking forward to this, Got a chance to catch up with Canadian tennis star Vasek Pospisil, who is in town for the National Bank Challenger Series, which is on right now at the Winnipeg Lawn Tennis Club. Vasek plays his first round match tonight. Um, former world number 25, looking to you know get some very valuable ranking points and uh, move on um, and hopefully get a first Canadian winner of the event here in Winnipeg. This event hasn't been played since 2019 due to the pandemic. So I know local tennis fans really fired up and um, we had a great chat with Vasek. So we'll have that for you a little later on in the program. Um, first things first, a big shout out to the folks that support us and makes this show happen each and every day, including cool bet Canada, princess auto, as well as Wallace and Wallace, Aikens Lake, F apparel, Vita health, Culligan water, Manitoba battery, Royal sports, breezy Bend country club, not auto corp, little Brown jug, Boston Pizza, the Nick and Nicky DQ group, Assiniboia Downs, and the great taste of Canadian Club. Let's get this thing going and welcome Michael Remus in. Remo, how are you? Did you uh, did you wake up for the big storm last night or did you sleep through that? Oh, man. Um, I was watching the newest episode of Better Call Saul with headphones <laughs> in. I had to watch it before I went to bed. And I was like, what is all that? banging and I turned out I could barely see outside and then I woke up my wife and my son who he's like it's loud he was like kind of tearing up I had to go in and give him a hug so it did wake up everyone else but I was already up but uh, was interrupting my tv watching well that was a uh I was actually trying to get to bed at a decent hour last night and uh, I had the door open in my room to the balcony just with the screen door open and uh, all of a sudden, you know, you started to hear it. Uh, the rain came down incredibly hard for a while and a uh, pretty intense light show, which is uh, nice. We've uh, Seemingly the Winnipeg Storm Shield has been in full effect for uh, most of the summer where there's been a lot of active weather, but it hasn't really come into the city. We got it last night. Um, nothing like, though, man, I've got some friends in St. Louis. They got over 12 inches of rain in 24 hours right now. I-70, the biggest uh, highway that connects Kansas City to, to St. Louis, is underwater right now. A um, lot of weird, weird-ass weather uh, in North America right now. But um, we got a beautiful storm last night. It's a nice day out today and a great day to talk sports with all of you here on WST. Um, Remo, uh, listen, as I said, we're going to focus in on some of the hockey stories a little later on. Um, we will 
really focus in on the bomber game in the next few days. Uh, but just before we do anything, um, bombers are back at practice today, getting ready for this big game against the Calgary Stampeders. Uh, and no Greg Ellingson and no Dick Nick Dembski again today at practice. Still waiting to hear about Jackson Jeffcoat. Um, and I'll tell you what, we just finished up the lock shop with Dustin Nielsen. Check that out on my Twitter at Hustlerama or at Dusty's and make sure you subscribe to the lock shop. If you're listening on the podcast, wherever you get Winnipeg sports talk, just put in the lock shop. We had a great breakdown of all the games this week, but, um, Another huge tilt and massive challenge for the undefeated Bombers going into Calgary after that thriller here a couple weeks ago. And you were hoping that maybe they'd have their number one receiver in Greg Ellingson back and certainly hoping for Jackson Jeffcoat's availability. Yeah, we also did get news late last night uh, or after the show on Carlton Agudosi. Uh, Mike O'Shea saying on the CJOB Coaches show that he had an ankle injury and the win over Edmonton and he'll be out for some time. So that I believe the team has signed Kelvin McKnight, who did get into a game last year. I may have may or may not have played him on DraftKings. And he was on the practice roster and then then was cut earlier this season. I don't know Greg McCray gets elevated. We'll have to wait and see, you know, when depth charts come out. I think it's too early to really tell, but yes, Ellingson and Dembski not practicing, uh, according to Ed Tate. And Derek Taylor reporting that Jeff Coat uh, Stanley Bryant and Jeff Gray are also not dressed. So I do wonder, you know, if the Bombers keep playing like they've been playing, you know, you can play like they did and win against Edmonton. But if they have that kind of performance against Calgary, who pretty much gave them everything they had and maybe even should have won if it weren't for some bad penalties in the game here, I don't know. Maybe you would lay the points with, or, you know, it's a pick em, so you would take Calgary to finally knock off the Bombers, but the Bombers just seem to find a way. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who's in, so we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, the difference between the Bombers and everybody else that's lost games this year is the Bombers haven't beaten themselves. I mean, I think back to maybe the crucial play in the last two games, and it's been moronic roughing the kicker penalties on Calgary and Edmonton. And, you know, in games, at times in the game where the offense maybe wasn't clicking, it just seems like that's throwing a stake in front of a rabid dog. And you give that sort of an opportunity for the Bombers and they make you pay. They scored a touchdown uh, off of the missed field goal for a six-point change in the Calgary game. And they did it again to Edmonton uh, on Friday night. Um, so the Bombers don't beat themselves. Many of the other teams have been so far. But make no mistake about it, this test for the Blue and Gold heading into Calgary to try to stay at 8-0. Well, I would say it's been their biggest of the year, but we said that when they were going into BC to take on the undefeated Lions on a short week. We said the same thing when they were back hosting the Calgary Stampeders in a much more disadvantageous situation when it came to the schedule. No excuses. The Bombers don't even talk about it. I'm sure they'll be ready to play. Uh, but the availability of some impactful players will go a long way to helping them, and we'll be following that throughout the week. Yeah, good question in chat from Mark Sports Video. He says, if you could have one player back from injury for this game, who are you going to pick? My pick's Greg Ellingson. Uh, he just seems to be the most important part of the Bombers' offense. They getting, completed seven passes last yeah, week. Yeah, getting all the targets. You saw their inability to move the ball and have sustained drives. He definitely helps with that. Uh, I think Jeff Coat, very important player, as, as he writes in chat. But you have other guys on defense who picked up the who picked up the slack and it seemed like the offense really well it didn't seem like they did struggle last week 
to have sustained drives. And I think Ellingson has been a huge part of their team soaking up a very large target share. So uh, my pick would be Ellingson, but I mean, it could be, you could make an argument for, for Jeffcoat. I mean, Dembski gives them another dimension as well on offense, and they're trying to put, you know, they tried to use Janeri and Grant, I guess, as the Dem. I don't know, as I think he was in Ellingson's spot, but he would be a similar to like a Dembski type player. He can run, he can do gadget plays. But yeah, they're down. They're down a lot of guys. So we'll have to wait and see. The schedule has, it, it might be catching up with them. Just tough schedule well, injuries. It, it, uh, but you know, as we talked about yesterday, I mean, the team's at seven and zero. They haven't had a bye week yet. Um, they're going to play these next couple weeks and then basically in the second half of the season have three bye weeks and be comfortably in a playoff spot. Obviously, they'll want to get home field um, and finish first place and host that West final again like they did last year and have the path to the Great Cup come through Winnipeg. Uh, but they certainly have earned themselves a, a pretty nice perch right now, albeit with just how good the West is right now with BC and Calgary being very close to Winnipeg. Every game, every win important, and a head-to-head -head game against these teams could be very impactful. I'm sure Calgary feels like they owe the Bombers one. Um, that'll be something that will chop up quite a bit on this program over the course of the next few days heading into the long weekend. But, of course, the big story yesterday that – we uh, spent quite a bit of time playing clips and talking about yesterday is Pierre-Luc Dubois' media availability yesterday um, for Winnipeg Jets media as well as media in Montreal. And, uh, you know, I think everyone, you know, it's interesting because, you know, we heard it. It went right into the show. We played the clips and sort of reacted to it live. I know you and many people remember have gone back and kind of listened a little bit more to Pierre-Luc Dubois. Um, now that we're a little bit more removed from hearing it for the first time, uh, what were your thoughts overall on um, Dubois' situation and when uh, where he's at with this club going into the season? Yeah, I'm glad you asked me because uh, I texted Murad after and I said, Joe, setting up the time for later this week, he's going to join Friday. And I said, good questions, Murad, as I think a lot of people enjoyed. And he said, what did you think? And I actually, he's like, the first time I had taken a second and wrote my thoughts down, and I was like, well, here's what I thought. I thought he didn't really address the report that he wants to hit UFA when eligible, so it seems obvious that he doesn't want to be here long-term. Uh, he also didn't answer the question from Kelly Moore if he was aware that his agent was going to go on French TV and say he always wanted to play with Montreal. And then I said, he's, I said this yesterday, that he's acting, he's that kind of sitting here being like, why is everyone making a big deal? out of all the things him or his agent has done. And then I think on the flip side, I mean, the Jets roster is worse than last year. Um, the season ended in a complete mess, uh, you know, from the player availability, and you hear all the stuff about the locker room. So I don't blame him for not wanting to sigh long-term. But for him to not even say at all, like, hey, if this team goes on a run or this team starts winning or we go to the playoffs, yeah, I would consider signing here long-term I think that was a big, that was a big L for for him. At least getting you know support from the fan base. Um, I think his answers were were pretty predictable. And I think there's also the part where Jets fans are going to be, you know, are, they're upset that you know you trade away Patrick Line for a guy who clearly doesn't want to be here long term. And that's not Dubois' fault, but that's the situation that the GM has put the team in. So I, that was my that was. And then Murat texted me back and he said, "You nailed it." I should have texted you before <laughs> writing the column. I was like, whoa, Murad, this is like the best best praise. And I said to him, 
You know, I should put this in a tweet thread. If you, that's how you get likes now. You got to make a tweet thread. Uh, here's my thoughts on Hillary <laughs> Dubois conference call and one, two, three, and yeah, at the, thread. At the bo- yeah, thread. And then at the bottom, you put if you like this, hit the follow button and retweet. <laughs> and join me. That there's so many of those right now. Yeah. It's like our old pal Sal Veltri and Joe Holka. I don't know what's happened yeah. with those guys, but they firmly embrace the internet Twitter thread. And uh, that's what you got to do. Seven fantasy football players that'll help you get a leg up on your competition oh. this year. A thread. And then they go down to Is the Is that everyone's thing. Twitter Twitter these days or just me? Here's I saw someone do a Twitter. I know we're on a tangent. Someone did a Twitter thread. All right, here's the 10 best sports movies. And just did a tweet with a movie poster of each one. I was like, Is this how you get free engagement on Twitter? I'm I'm doing this all wrong. I guess before, you know, that would have been a blog post or people would have put yeah. it on a website, but no one ha- even has the patience to click a link to go to websites anymore. It needs to be literally right in front of their face when they open up their yeah. app. So I think that is why that has kind of transitioned maybe to more of Twitter-based threads. That being said, I don't really know how. I mean, if, if you're trying to, you know, break it open, I guess it's maybe more for followers and engagement um, than it is to try to monetize anything. I don't know how people are getting paid if they're getting a two hundred thousand like uh, likes on their on their fantasy football thread or whatever. But certainly, it will um, it will generate. Hey, speaking of threads, and this is a little bit more uh, on a serious note. Um, the Hockey Canada um, hearings are have, um, resumed in, uh, in in Ottawa now. Um, first of all, I mean another sexual assault story uh, in hockey, which has been um, certainly big news on the West Coast that we haven't really touched on, uh, involves former Vancouver Canuck, uh, Jake Vertanen, who uh, I believe just in the last hour or so has been found not guilty. Um, You know, this one did go to uh, court. He, um, you know, pled his innocence um, as it was a consensual nature. I don't have all the details on that, but that has come out. But I mean, that honestly, that one case has sort of been completely overshadowed by everything that we've learned about what's happened in 2018 with the national junior team and the subsequent allegations of a horrible assault involving members of the 2003 team today. But um, today, the Standing Committee on Canadian Heritage uh, arrived to discuss Hockey Canada's response to the sexual abuse allegations. Um, Daniel Robitaille the leering of the uh, the the um, lawyer from Toronto law firm Heinen Hutchinson was hired in 2018 um, to investigate the 2018 alleged alleged sexual assault was the first one to testify. Um, she said that she was contacted by Hockey Canada on the 19th, was retained on the 21st, and saw the uh, oversaw the investigation, um, and really could not answer some pointed questions saying that this is an ongoing investigation and we do not know what did or did not occur. Uh, what's interesting, though, as far as, and what's important is as far as the players um, and the level of cooperation, uh, we heard very different stories, and this is sort of what I was talking about last time where it seemed like Hockey Canada was so ill-prepared for the hearings. I mean, Tom Rennie was saying one thing, Scott Smith was saying the other, as far as how many players cooperated. Um it sounds like they were both wrong. Uh, it looked like about 10, uh, 10 players uh, cooperated, and I believe seven coaches and or staff. 
Um, but he did say that Hockey Canada exerted solicitor client privilege on the issue um, that police needed to be contacted, read the assault associations. And Robitaille told Hockey Canada's Glenn McCurdy that he needed to connect with senior leadership before acting on that advice. So, um, you know, there is a number of things that you would not see. I mean, you know, when it says, hey, we need to go to police, um, you don't want to say, hey, before we do that, I got to talk to my boss. Um, and, you know, a as it went through, it certainly does seem, Remo, that there is so much more work to be done for Hockey Canada. Uh, there was also a testify uh, testified that the national sports organizations must provide a third party for complaints with appro uh, to approach with allegations. Um, and basically, Rick Westhead said he called the third party group for Hockey Canada twice last year about making complaints. And both times they said he should contact Hockey Canada. Um, this is not going away anytime soon, especially considering what we've learned and what was came forth with the statement of Hockey Canada last year in the 2003 team. Um, but it certainly does seem like there are some players, probably some in the National Hockey League right now, of those groups that, you know, did not cooperate with the investigation, um, that got their lawyers on the case, that if they don't go forward now that this investigation has been reopened, they will be banned by Hockey Canada, and their ban will become public. So, um, you know, for guys that have had, you know, up until this point, I mean, they settled the case without technically knowing who it was, and they were John John Doe's one to eight. That won't be the case going forward if they choose not to cooperate. Yeah, a lot going on. And I think this the worst part is just something you see in these cases all the time where people in power knew, and I see uh, Kevin Waugh saying, you know, sport, Canada should have gone ahead and told what the minister of sport and it's just people are deferring their responsibilities. And yeah. then you have, um, you know, members of parliament saying, okay, is the people in hockey Canada now, are they fit to foster this change going forward after what we've seen so far? And I think they have questions about that and yeah, they're, so the lawyers are, but they're reopening this investigation. And if people don't cooperate, the players, what the eight of them who said no, what they'll be banned from participating with Hockey Canada and named publicly. So uh, this is ongoing. Rick Westhead doing a tremendous <clears> job. <throat> uh, now, this is a, if you're talking about Twitter thread, Rick Westhead has the Twitter thread uh, on this. Very well done. Katie Strang and, as well. And, and absolutely killing and it. I know Ian Mendez is there, um, Ian McIntyre from Sportsnet. So they're, they're all there covering this. And I'm, you know, interested to see you know what comes of this what changes and you know we didn't talk about it was yesterday during the show we didn't we didn't mention this because it came out kind of near the end but mary philip plan and basically every member of the women's team putting out a statement and a letter um saying they want a seat at the table and to be part of the are part of the change because i mean for them what's it like for them being associated with hockey canada after these cover-ups and um well that's and the, pay, and the payouts i mean that listen i'm sure they're all horrified and offended that this took place but there's also a real tangible effect on everybody else that's under hockey canada i mean when when the biggest sponsors that essentially bankroll the game in the country back out because they don't want to be associated with it it's one thing for the world junior tournament which is the big cash cow 
It's a one thing for the men's team uh, or the world junior team that, you know, these incidents are being associated with. Hockey Canada is much more than that. You might not see it on television or TSN, but, I mean, you've got an incredible women's program, the most decorated ever. You've got women's hockey programs at all levels. You've got amateur programs. You've got sledge hockey. I mean, all of those things are affected if funding is cut and sponsorship is taken away from Hockey Canada. And it's not just to, you know, push forward change and maybe not be around an event like the World Junior Hockey Championships that a lot of people won't have the stomach for this summer, considering what's happened. And this is a, this is a bit that is important from uh, from Marie Philippe Poulet. We take our role as leaders on the national team seriously and with great pride. And with and as role models for young women, we will ensure that women's rights, whether they be players, fans, or others, are protected and guaranteed. In addition, the announced federal funding cuts and investment withdrawal from major sponsors is deeply concerning, as this will surely impact the critical training and development funding that's allowed our women's national teams to shine on the global hockey stage. Our women's program, which has brought home five Olympic gold medals, 11 world championships, and six under-18s, intends to monitor this situation and all decisions connected to it closely. Um, so the first part of it certainly is about doing what's right, getting the people in positions that can make the important changes going forward. But something that has been forgotten and not talked about by a lot of people, brought up by Marie-Philippe Poulin, is that you know the effects of what is happening to Hockey Canada right now could unfortunately have a really significant impact on people that have absolutely nothing to do with this mess and shouldn't be impacted. And I'm sure there's a way for the sponsors to continue supporting the women's side and the women's team, um, but it is an absolute mess and it is entirely of their own doing. If these sort of things were handled properly from the get-go, yes, it might have been ugly, uh, but the right thing would have been done and people would have the confidence in Hockey Canada going forward. Uh, and it just seems that at every level and at every turn right now, more and more of that confidence is lost. Yeah, uh, very well said. us. And uh, if you want to read that letter, Mary people on Twitter, Poo, P-O-U, 29 and I, I agree with you i think if you're a member of the female team and you see all these sponsors dropping out and then you know hockey canada you know being put in such a negative light and you have to wear that jersey and compete for you know for the people in charge who've kind of ignored um you know sexual assaults to to women um i think you definitely have mixed feelings and full credit to them for speaking out and putting out, out the letter i saw a number of of um players from the women's team, put that out on, on Twitter yesterday. So, I mean, this isn't over, this is ongoing, and we'll have to see what happens. And, yeah, the World Juniors, I mean, they're a couple weeks away here. Okay, I was just going to bring that up with you. I mean, have you? I, I know you probably haven't thought about it. And full disclosure, I'm not a big World Junior guy. I know there's some people that essentially plan their entire Christmas holidays around it, and they're watching each and every game. I, uh, I don't know, a long time ago, I thought that maybe we were making a little bit too much of these uh, young kids before they, you know, become professionals. But there is something really fun and unique about the event. And listen, TSN basically created this. I mean, the tournament was, it, it was a tournament beforehand, but they turned it into the marketing monster that it was. And, you know, it was the gift that kept on giving for Hockey Canada and the IIHF. And 
Unfortunately, there is a level of greed and money in it. I mean, there's a reason why the IIHF decided they, they were going to put it in Canada every second year. Well, we created this monolith where people would show up and we pack stadiums and they could charge more for it. And that simply wasn't the case anywhere else in the world. Now, ironically, what has happened is that Scandinavia, particularly Finland and Sweden, I think seeing the broadcasts and the coverage and the success that they've had before have sort of followed that path 10 or 15 years later. And we've seen the best turnouts and best support from fans ever in Europe over the last couple of events. The States, it's basically still been a blip on the map. And it's really successful when it's in Buffalo or Grand Forks because 90% of the fans are coming across the border for Canada. Um, I had a real... I was very skeptical when the tournament got canceled in the uh, in, in around Christmas when they decided that they were going to have this again this summer and I know the the what they say is that well you know the kids deserve an opportunity to play and I'm here for that I mean I think that is important there's a lot of a lot of young players that this will be the most, the biggest and most important thing that they've ever been to. I mean, they won't end up having incredible success as professionals, and this is the chance to do it. Uh, and I certainly feel for people from outside the country, from you know the other teams around. But man, I mean, the fact that this is a Hockey Canada event being put on at World Juniors, the two teams that have been involved in sexual assaults, the alleged sexual assaults coming from this program. Um, it's going to be unlike any tournament before. It already would have removed because it's going to be in the middle of August. Um, but I, I'm fascinated as to what the tone of the event will be, um, both on television and at the event, how well it will be supported or attended by fans. Um, and in some ways, this could be a, uh, a huge turnaround for something that had been about as guaranteed to be successful as possible. I think this 2022 rescheduled event coming up next month is going to be unlike any world junior championship we've ever seen, assuming it goes ahead as planned. Yeah. We haven't had uh summer world juniors. Of course you have sponsors dropping out. I wonder what the coverage is going to be like. Um, yeah, it's going to be a very, very different. You know, we had summer hockey, a couple of years ago, you know, with the with the bubble, but I mean, there's circumstances around the World Juniors with you know the allegations on Hockey Canada covering up sexual assaults. So, um, I mean, I don't know, I don't know what to make of it. I want, I I did wonder if you know the Team Canada would just go with a, like just a generic. You know how EA Sports used to have the generic, you know, Canada jersey with just like a maple leaf. Not yeah, the Mark the, Shifley draft jersey. Yeah, which is well, that was NHL logo, yeah, but like you but have that sort of thing. But you just have like a the flag in the front instead of you know the corporate logo. I wonder if they would do now. Jerseys take a while to be made up, but it would seem it seem you know not weird, but maybe a bit tone deaf to do that. But you can't really deny. I what, don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Well, you know what, and this is perfect time because Darren Haynes is coming up on the program. And he, of course, is in Calgary. We were planning on talking mostly about the Calgary Flames. And I would, and I will ask him just on what the feeling is around there because, of course, that's Hockey Canada headquarters. Listen, just before we do that, uh, a big shout-out to our friends over at Vita Health Fresh Market featuring great prices on Winnipeg's best selection of natural organic supplements, beauty products, and groceries. Barbecue season is here, and they have everything you need, including some healthy options like lean bison steaks, bison burgers, or chicken, and hot dogs, burgers, non-alcoholic drink options like sober carpenter beer and clever mocktails. Everything you need for a great summer day. And, hey, if you're hungry and on the go, pop in for great 
healthy, fast lunch options like good good to go, Vita Market salad, soup, sandwiches, and more. Vita Health Fresh Market, empowering people to lead healthy lives, seven Winnipeg locations, including the newest store online and uh, of course at myvita.ca, the newest store over at Linden Ridge. Uh, our friends at Wallace and Wallace have been very busy this summer. Uh, you've seen the fences all around the city. You know that they're the kings of the overhead door business, but they've also got boathouse doors. Um, if you uh, on the lake and a boathouse catches your eye, chances are it's one of theirs, and they've got everything you need, steel, aluminum, polycarbonate, glass panels, and a design that's perfect for your little piece of paradise. And if you think that you need some service and maybe a little TLC after the high water receding, Call them to arrange a service visit, 204-452-2700. You can also hit them up at wallacedoors.com or check out their showroom on Lawson Road. Big thanks to Wallace and Wallace for their support of it. Hey, we had suit day last week. There'll be more coming. We're on the verge of 8,000 subs on YouTube. We may have to break them out again. Um, but I'm very looking forward to my new suit from F Apparel, the leaders in men's custom clothing here in Winnipeg. Seen Ken and the media guys wear it. Certainly a number of Jets have been using it. And the bottom line is the best prices uh, starting at $400 on custom suits made to fit exactly the way you want them. And hey, if you and the fellas are in a wedding party coming up, take advantage of that great 15% off deal for the entire wedding party when you get your suits at F. Find out more at 190 Smith Street downtown or check them out online at F. That's EPHapparel.com. And had a big text with our friend Pitt Turen. Getting the guys ready to get out to Aikens in a couple weeks. Check them out on uh, Twitter if you haven't seen some of the monster fish coming out of the lake at Aikens Lake. And if you're thinking about planning an amazing fly-in fishing trip in Manitoba where you can be on the water in less than two hours from the city, Aikens Lake is the place with the best people around. Aikenslake.com for more information. All right, let's head out to Calgary and welcome in Darren Haynes on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Hey, Darren, how are you? Great to have you on the program. Thanks for doing this better am i live am i coming to you in winnipeg you are coming in loud and clear uh great to talk to you again and thanks so much for doing this yeah well you know this is what we do in canada it's the it's late july it's super hot out let's talk hockey (laughs) exactly hey listen i wanted to talk to you about uh what's happened in the national hockey week with the flames but you know raymond and i were just speaking for the last 10 minutes or so about um, you know, what's happening in Ottawa right now with Hockey Canada. Um, I'm just wondering, you being there covering hockey in Calgary, um, what's the feeling around this story there in Calgary, close to HQ? And um, how different or how much do you think it's going to affect this upcoming rescheduled World Junior Hockey Championships down the road in Edmonton? Yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of lurking, isn't it? It's certainly not going to be. Uh it's like it or not it's going to be something that's going to be talked about it's it's really unfortunate how it's all yeah i don't even know what really to say i know i know these are some tough days for those that are working out of hockey canada's office there's a lot of good people there a ton of good people um this is obviously just some some history and maybe some some decisions that um, you know, maybe uh, maybe some regrets there, obviously, and how things have been handled. But I, I feel I feel I feel sorry for the the good people that are kind of affronting this now, and and these are kind of also people behind the scenes that just it sucks to go to work right now just because uh, of everything that's that's swirling. So yeah, I, I, it's not going to go away, and and when we have more hockey in August, which is 
just the way of the 2000s and 20s, it seems, then um, it's going to be something that, again, is going to be on the, in the focal point. So I guess we'll, we'll, we'll see. I think it's at least these are conversations, important conversations to be had. It's just unfortunate that uh, how, you know, how it's, it's really going to kind of overshadow, you know, a lot of other good things that are going to be happening and it's not to diminish it, but it's just, you know, like it's, it's, it is what it is. Right. Oh, there's a lot of people. I mean, you know, there's first and foremost victims in the alleged assaults, but I mean, I'm sure there's victims within hockey Canada, people that had no idea this was going on and they get painted with a brush and, you certainly feel for these young men who had their opportunity taken away originally at Christmas due to COVID. And now what was already going to be a weird tournament to begin with, I think, with it happening in August, um, you know, this is taken on a whole new level. And, um, you know, that pride, I think, that a lot of people have always had in putting that jersey on, I'm sure will be there for the players. But for the support of the event, of people that would normally go to it, I'm very interested to see how that compares to some of the other events not only because of the time, but everything that's happening around it right now. Uh, all that being said, um, you know, moving from something very serious to something a little more trivial, but certainly more fun for hockey fans to discuss, is what's been happening with the Calgary Flames. And you know what? We'll get to Friday night in a minute and the big trade. But Darren, you've covered this team for a long time. You've been around the community for years. How would you categorize the last? two weeks of Calgary Flames history, starting with Johnny Gaudreau, stunning the team and the community by leaving 15 mil on the table to go to Columbus of all places. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's been a roller coaster for sure. I don't think if they sell um, Pepto-Bismol at Costco, you could get a large or gravel. Let's say gravel. I don't think you could get a large enough bottle to handle the ups and downs that have happened in the last couple of weeks. It's uh it's kind of par for the course for, it seems like for this city, it's, it's, uh, you know, you, you, you get so close. It's funny how it was, it was only like, I think it was about 10 weeks, only a couple of just over two months ago where, where the, the jubilation and the celebration, and finally they had slayed that dragon. They got past the first round again. It's the great, the Gaudreau with Kachuk behind the net, like it's the overtime goal that defeated Dallas and on to the second round and the battle of Alberta and every, and, and all the positivity that was coming out of that and all the positive hype. And then, and then to see, I mean, this is really unprecedented. It's, you know, to, to have 200, 100 point players exit your team in one off season is, is insane. Like this is, this is not, this is, this has not happened. So, so what a kind of a, I mean, just just to go from that high to go to that very low, starting of course with with that kind of. We lose Darren there. Reem. Yeah, we lost him. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully we can get that uh, get that connection back up with uh, with Darren Haynes. I'm not exactly sure what uh, what happened to him, but he does make a great point that I don't think it's ever happened in NHL history, Remo, that two 100-point players have left the team in the same offseason, never mind in a matter of a couple of weeks after the season that both those individuals and those players had. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty wild when you think about it. And for them to replace one of those 100-point players in Matthew Kachuk with another in Jonathan Huberto, um, again, 100-point players being traded for each other. And this is why I like the trade for Calgary, where, look, you take one Kachuk, and yeah, he's not going to resign long-term, so you trade him for, what, two guys who are going to help you, and maybe you resign Uyghur? They at least said they would be open to considering the idea 
yesterday. So I think, you know, from Calgary, you go for this doom. Like, oh, no, we lost Johnny Gaudreau. We lost, you know, Matthew Kachuk's on his way out. And then you kind of replace him. And look, maybe you go out and sign Nazem Kadri. I'm not sure. Or you have all these defensemen now that you've acquired Uyghur. Maybe you trade one of those defensemen for a forward. Although we did just see some breaking news. Um, You know, a player who was out there, Desi Pugliarvi, that he just re-signed in Edmonton. I got the alert from the TSN app just now. One year, $3 million. So, are they going to keep him? I mean, that's pretty a reasonable contract. Or, you know, we've heard reports from Ryan Rashog and whoever, you know, out of, I think, I think Rashog, I don't want to, but people out of Edmonton saying he's going to be traded. So we'll have to wait and see what happens there. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, we've reconnected with Darren. And uh, Darren, I mean, maybe it was just the aftershocks of both Gaudreau and Kachuk leaving that uh, shorted out the internet there. But uh, we're just speaking about, you know, all the highs through the playoffs, the disappointing end, obviously, to the Edmonton series and the Battle of Alberta. And as much as that stung, I think Johnny leaving the way he did probably hurt Flames fans even more. And that led into the what happened with Kachuk, which I'm not sure a lot of people probably expect in their back of the mind, but everything just happened so fast. Uh, and, and, you know, you know, Kachuk says it wasn't related, like he had his own plan in mind, but it certainly, if, if you're, if you're him and, and, and you just lost your winger, um, yeah, it just felt like that was like a, it felt like a package deal. So it was certainly uh Kind of a, a that was a, was a gut punch to the to the stomach of this organization as well as uh, to the city. But you know, I, I have to to say that I was literally shocked when I saw the haul that they got um, last late Friday night for when they kind of got painted into the corner with Matthew Kachuk. Now it, it wasn't painted into one small tiny tile in the corner. They did have a few teams they could negotiate with, but this is not a, you're not dealing with a position of strength when you have a player that doesn't want to play there any longer, but um, that's where things have kind of t- turned. And I'll tell you again, all of a sudden now there's a lot more swagger in the fan base. There's a lot more positivity. We've kind of gone from, from team, from people just kind of throwing up their arms in disgust and being done with the team to suddenly they're, they're, they're back on board again. So yeah, it's, it's been a roller coaster, like I said. I guess a big part of the excitement of the fan base is what Uyghur and Huberto had to say yesterday. And it's sort of a funny comparison to what's happened here in Winnipeg because Pierre-Luc Dubois got in front of a microphone and tap danced around a number of questions over his long-term future here in Winnipeg. Certainly said he was fired up to get after it next season. Um, but we didn't hear what Calgary did and that those players would both be open to potentially staying long-term. Now there's a lot of hockey to be played. There's a lot of discussions to be having, but I'm sure that went over incredibly well in the market that, you know, it's great that you were getting these two guys from Florida. Um, with one year left on the contract, I'm sure the initial expectation is that a lot of people were expecting that this might be a short-term stay. Yeah, and, and it may still be. I mean, let's be honest, being open to an extension is what else are they going to say? So I think that was kind of the expected. We could tell you what else they were going to say. I could show you yesterday uh, from, uh, from uh, number 80 on our team here. I suppose. Um, but I will say for those that thought, uh, I mean, I think there were still some pockets that thought, well, what a great time to announce an extension of Huberto or, or Uyghur or both. Well, look, at neither of them have any familiarity with Calgary. I mean, we asked both of them what they knew about Calgary and both of them referred to Cowboys. I mean, 
there there are cowboys on the streets. Yeah, like one week a year. But but I'm not riding a horse to the saddle when I go there. So <laughs> so they're they're not that familiar with the city. They've never played for Daryl Sutter. That's that can be an acquired taste. So so they they know two stars are leaving. There'd probably be some curiosity around that. Um, the trade had just happened. So to so so there was no really no chance that they would be agreeing to this. All of a sudden we have a presser tomorrow or yesterday and they they agree to extension. So I believe everything that you've heard and, and exactly right from the GM where it says this was step one. Let's get them in, let them climb acclimate to the surroundings, get to know the players. They they, they hardly know anybody in the team. Uyghur doesn't know anybody in the team. The only guy that uh, Huberto knows is Markstrom from when they played together in Florida. And that was so long ago. Markstrom was just a little over five foot back then, I'm sure. But so, <laughs> so they need to come in and because this is what, this is what, what roles, you know, this is how, this is what kind of motivates them. Like, what's the team like? What are the guys like? What's the city like? You know, like, so, so it's going to get a chance to, to bring them into town. And I have no doubt that, that the GM, they've got money to spend. It, it lines up pretty good for Calgary's cap situation with some big deals kind of coming off the books after next season. So extensions could line up nicely. So I think the money could be there as long as the fit is there. I think they definitely have a chance at getting one of them signed, if not both of them signed. The million dollar question is how the Flames do next year. In that, if they're in it, it's going to be tough to trade like they did with Johnny Gaudreau. That being said, um, if they do realize, I think they'll avoid, however they can, what happened with Gaudreau at the end of last season, Darren. And, you know, if they aren't going to get one or both of these guys signed, the one thing I can guarantee is that Brad Treleving will have, barring injury, have incredible trade chips at the deadline to make even more out of the return from Matthew Kachuk and not be left holding the bag like they did with Johnny. Yeah, it's just so much easier said than done in July, in August. I mean, you get down to that again with the history of this team and, and, the, and the pieces they have in place right now. If they're second in the division in a playoff lock at the trade deadline, they're just, just, I just can't see it. I just can't see them saying, no, what, you know what, we're going to trade Huberto for, for, for prospects. So I think they, there's a very likely possibility that if they don't go get them extended, that they're going to end up in this very much catch 22 once again. And, and I think it's easy to say, well, we'll flip them this time. I think when you get in the moment and you sense that there could be a legitimate run in this team, if that's the case, I think that's a really hard trade to make because, uh, again, you're you're talking about a, a you know you've got some good pieces. You've got Tanev, kind of Tanev, March, and you have guys that aren't getting any younger in some of those key pieces that they have. So we'll see if they can get uh, get some of that contractual work done beforehand. That will eliminate some of that angst, and I think uh, the, the GM and everybody involved will be motivated to see that happen. All that being All that said, be it certainly bought them some time, and it sounds like Brad Treleving has, um, well, significantly boosted his worth in the mind of Calgary Flames fans over the past uh, few weeks, considering where things were when Johnny Gaudreau was signing with the Jackets. Yeah, no, absolutely. His, uh, what we call it, approval ratings, if you will, have certainly uh, taken a taking a boost and there's still there's still many that like any hockey market in this country you know it, it's what have you done what have you accomplished you know there's hasn't been enough trips into the second round there haven't been the last you know last year should have been a trip into the third round you lost to edmonton which you can't do and ever be approved have a have strong approval rating right so so there's still work to do but he uh but he has built out this team he's built out the prospects a lot of those prospects are playing with it 
on the team right now. So uh, they've drafted well. So we've done good work, but certainly they need to see that translate into postseason success. And they really need to build on what they did this past year. Darren, thanks so much for doing this. Appreciate you joining us as always. Have a great summer. Yeah, sorry about the technical glitches there, boys. No problem. No no problem, problem. Darren. We'll do it again soon. There it is, Darren Haynes of uh, joining us, a uh, longtime favorite of ours when we were discussing uh, all things Jets and Flames and Bombers and Stamps in our old home, and uh, great to have Darren jump on with us here on Winnipeg Sports Talk today. Um, all right, Ken Weeb's coming up in just a couple minutes. Uh, before we do that, well, it's Weeb time. You know what? I mean, fill up those water bottles, folks. Hydrate. Uh, and when you're doing that, there's no better water service and people in the city than the fine folks at Culligan Water who have been doing it as a locally owned family business for over 65 years. Whether you need water softeners, water filters, bottled water coolers, whole home systems, or drinking water systems, they've got citywide water delivery services and commercial and industrial water products and solutions as well. Whatever you need when it comes to water, Culligan are your people 1200 Sergeant Avenue 694-5180 and you can check out all their products and services online at drinkculligan.com um Manitoba Battery Donnie and the gang great sponsors and great friends of ours are the home of the $99 deep cycle battery you won't find anyone in town that can compete with that price whether it's for the camper, your boat, or anything else, you'll get the best price and the best service from the guys and gals down at Manitoba Battery. And the bottom line is, folks, you're going to save yourself a ton of time and money because you're not only getting the best price in town, but they can bring the battery to your door at no extra cost when you live inside the perimeter and a small additional fee for folks outside the perimeter. Forget the big box stores when it comes to batteries. Shop local, get a better price, enjoy the convenience and service that Manitoba Battery has to offer. Find out more online at manitobabattery.com or go visit the, the team in the coolest JetBlue building in Winnipeg at 1026 Logan Avenue. Open 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. daily. And... um. Tell you what, it's always busy at Royal Sports because they are the sports superstore, family-owned for over 35 years, probably approaching 40 now in Winnipeg. Um, You know, we know hockey season is always kind of here and right around the corner, and Royal have been the hockey experts for the entire time. It's basically the basis of their business, and they've got hockey players that work there that know what you need and can uh, get you fitted properly. Uh, But, well... They're synonymous with hockey. The summer's here right now. They got soccer, softball, baseball gear, a massive selection of bikes, fitness gear, and maybe some cool, fun outdoor activities as well, including some water sports stuff, disc golf, tennis, and more. And of course, when you're there, check out their incredible selection of the best licensed merchandise around from international soccer to the National Hockey League, NFL, Major League Baseball, and NBA. It's all there at 750 Pemina Highway at the Royal Sports Superstore. Check out the cool stuff on the King Skate Snow and Surf side as well, and follow them on Instagram at Royal Sports Pemina for the latest merchandise drops and sale information and hey i had a great chat with Corey johnson over at breezy bend breezy is getting ready um first of all they're all fired up we mentioned braxton coots being the first ever manitoba golfer to go back to back as both the manitoba junior champion and the manitoba amateur champion um but there is a big championship coming to breezy next month it's the canadian women's mid-am 
but 100 plus of the best female golfers over the age of 25 will be gathering at Breezy Bend. Going to work on hopefully doing a show out there during the tournament. Um, but of course, if you're looking for a great golfing home for you and your family, talk to Corey Johnson about getting on the waiting list for next year. And you can find out everything going on at Breezy Bend, all their services, all the features online at breezybend.ca. Hey, all right, let's get Remo back in here. Uh, chat, great to see everyone in us. By the way, if you haven't already, make sure you hit the red subscribe button. Remo, we're getting close to 8K. Um, th- this last couple of weeks has been wild with the amount of people that I think that have found our our show. Um, and we'll see. We're going to have to do something special, much like the suit day last week. We may have to break them out again when we get to eight. Suit day was a big hit. Almost too big of a hit where people want it regularly. But if I think if we did it every day, maybe we would lose the luster. But yeah, we're at seven. We're ninety YouTube subs away from uh, from eight k. It's been quite a journey. We've had really amped it up the last couple months. Uh, you know, I, we had so much to talk about in May with Trot's Watch and July has been free agency. Oh, yeah, June was Trot's watch and Stanley Cup uh, playoffs as well. Um, but now I think we're entering that time as August where you know, not a lot going on. We're still waiting for some of these UFAs to sign. We had this Dubois press conference, which was nice. I wouldn't mind a, a big trade or something to shake it up. But yeah, 90, 90 subs away and from AKN. We've also had, you know, our podcast downloads have been, again, higher than ever the last bit. So we thank everyone Thank everyone. But if you are watching, you're not subscribed. I think like half of the people aren't. Uh, hit hit the on. red button. And like only. It's totally think, free. Some people, yeah. by the way, some people go, oh, how much does it cost? It doesn't cost anything. It's very simple. You and, just hit the red button. And then when you turn on YouTube, if you're not joining us live, you know, it'll be conveniently there mm-hmm. for you with the latest edition of WST whenever it's convenient for you to watch. And, and also, I think a lot of people don't know you got to hit the notification bell below and you get notified you know, in the little bell thing in the corner of your YouTube app or website, only like 10% of people who are subscribed have the notifications on. So I know there's probably a bunch of people in here who don't. So maybe uh, do that as well if you want to get updates. We did post a video uh, yesterday. I kind of spliced together all of our commentary on the Dubois clips. That's in there. Um, so we had, what, the, the bonus interview is on there as well. Uh, Tim Stapleton, people, I saw people were enjoying, I posted a clip of your conversation with him from last week where he was talking about uh, the Jets' first season where he was put on waivers and then Chevy had to call and be like, uh, actually, we don't have room for you in St. John's and he comes in the next day and Clodo's No, like, they still had a spot here in, yeah, in, here. Uh, in Winnipeg. Hey, I guess you don't have to go. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the fist bump from Claude. You're still here. That was a great stuff. Anyways, if you've missed anything, it's all there on the YouTube channel for you whenever you need. And uh, yeah, do the boys a favor. Give us a sub while you're uh, with us on the YouTube. Hey, T-Cona Polly, What up? T- what up, Polly? It says in his usual all caps, how about the tennis tourney going on in town? Well, I've got good news for you, T-Cona Polly. Coming up a little later on after Ken Weeb joins us, we will speak with Vasek Pospisil, Canadian tennis star, about being here in Winnipeg, about this event, what fans can expect if they go out there, the level of play in this National Bank Challenger Tournament, as well as some of the highlights of his career, Davis Cup Finals representing the country, and of course his run to the Wimbledon quarterfinals and winning Wimbledon. 
uh, in the doubles competition as well. So that is all coming up. And dare I do say, he's probably the best looking guest we've ever had on this program. So uh, um, you might want to check this one out on YouTube to get the uh, to get the full effect if you're listening on the podcast. Um, so Ken coming up a little later on. Obviously, we're going to get to his thoughts on the Dubois thing. The one thing that I will say this, uh, Arim, and you know, yesterday I think we went through and it was honest reaction to what we heard and what we didn't hear. The one thing that I, I think I'm, I'm very glad that we did hear from Pierre-Luc Dubois because... Uh, I don't think no matter what he said, there wasn't going to be any extension right now. We just signed the qualifying offer. He's not even allowed to do it until I believe into the new year. Um, but the most important thing in the short term is that Pierre-Luc Dubois is engaged, is excited to be a member of the Winnipeg Jets this season, to get back at it and to play with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. And while I certainly am of the opinion that his time in Winnipeg is not for long, the best thing that could happen for both the player and the team and everyone that gives a damn about the Winnipeg Jets is that Pierre-Luc Dubois comes in very much motivated, realizing realizing that it is very much in his best interest to have his best season ever. And um, you know whether that means speeds up a trade or gets Kevin Day off the price that he wants, I guess we will see. Uh, but it's certainly better than the alternative with having a player that hadn't signed a contract that was iffy on even being here this year, even if he's um, about as far away from committing long-term as you could be at this point from what he said yesterday. Yeah, I think it would have been nice to hear him say, you know what, I would at least maybe consider if I have a good season and, you know, the team plays well, but he wouldn't He wouldn't go there. But um, for him... He said he's working out of the gym. He is focused on this season, and he should be. He's got a one-year deal. You're going to be doing these negotiations again, and if he wants to up his price, which I think he does, which I know he does, and you know the salary cap maybe goes up next year. I'm not sure. There's going to be more money available for players. So if he has a really good season, better than, what, did he have 60 points this year? So if he gets you know in the 70 points, close to point per game, well, guess what? His average annual value salary, it's going to go up. So, And then if he's having that kind of season, maybe the Jets are getting into the playoffs again. So it's in everyone's best interest for him to have a good season. And we'll wait and see. It sounds like he it does sound like he's definitely committed. He said he's skating with other team teammates in Michigan. I'm assuming Connor, uh, Kyle, and Connor Hellebuck. Um, maybe cop would join in. I know there's a group of players out there that skate. So uh, we'll see how it goes as far as the team goes. I mean, bringing back the same squad, you kind of like to see something to give you a reason why, you know, the results are going to be different next year. Coaching staff is certainly one of them. And I guess we'll have to see what happens. I don't think the off season is over. We're seeing moves still made, but uh, the clock is definitely ticking uh, towards training camp. Yeah, I mean, that's the one thing I, I, I took out of yesterday. I think Pierre-Luc Dubois certainly has a good attitude heading into this season in the short term. What that means for his long term here in Winnipeg, I don't think really changes too much. Uh, but the other thing that you may have missed on the YouTube channel, if you weren't around for Friday's show, uh, was the fact that we got to have Rick Bonus on for the first time. And the positivity that Rick Bonus exudes, I think, is something that, you know, will benefit everybody. And... The other thing that was quite interesting was him talking about, and I asked him specifically about trying to create a culture that has guys want to stay in Winnipeg. And he um, that was one of the more interesting clips of the entire conversation with the new Jets head coach as to how many players he said 
kind of express that too. And um, I'm not sure whether Dubois is part of that group. Um, in the short term, he'll be here. Uh, but long term, getting guys that want to be here, that will commit to this city, this franchise, the team, and the fan base, and be a part of it, and not be, um, you know, not have to apologize for it at all. I mean, I think the Winnipeg Jets are somewhat past that. So uh, let's talk about it all with uh, with one Ken Weeb, who uh, I'm not sure whether he's gotten 18 or 36 already in today. Let's check in. Weaver, I knew you were just going to fill up the water glass. How, how are you doing? What's up? Andrew, uh, sorry for the delay. Uh, everything is good. Great to be with you. Uh, no golf today, but uh, some walking in, though, at least. We got uh, we got uh, closing in on 20,000 steps for the day. So Well, that's good. I think you just did about 1,500 walking around your place since you've turned the computer on. I, the, the, I, uh, ba- the backstage stuff that I sometimes see that the viewers don't is is always funny. But, hey, let's get to as it. As you know, I had an important call. I had an important call that I was on here. It was, uh, it was a positive call with, the, with my employer. So it's good. Oh, good, good. Good stuff, well, good stuff. That, 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 that's, that's breaking news right there. Um, Ken, uh, speaking of calls, there was the video call yesterday with Pierre-Luc Dubois. Um, I guess my first question for you, how do you think it went for him, and do you think he achieved what he hoped to by meeting the media? And uh, was he successful in quelling some of the questions about him, or um, maybe the the drama, for lack of a better term, that sort of surrounded him and his spot in Winnipeg for the last couple of weeks? Sure, Huss. I mean, I I personally think that uh, I appreciate the honesty. Uh, I, I again, I understand that the fans would have loved a, a declaration of love and eight years of support uh, yesterday. But I think if you thought that that was coming on yesterday's call, I don't think you've been paying attention. Uh, what I would say, though, I think it was important for Pierre Luc Dubois to declare that he has not asked for a trade. That sort of that would quiet the unhappiness, uh, you know, rumor mill that has potentially been out there. Uh, in terms of how he handled the Pat Brisson's comments, I think uh, I would say 50-50. I, I think the start of it was important. I mean, he tried to make it clear that he did not, he did not, he did not draft the, uh, he did not create the draft of what was said. Uh, but at the same time, he said, uh, "Pat's the best agent in the business. He's acting in my best interests, and I support him." So, uh, I think that if, if if you thought that as a fan, if you thought Pierre-Luc Dubois was interested in playing for the Montreal Canadiens, I'm not sure that uh, his comments were would, would would suggest otherwise, but they're not suggesting that he wants to play for them today, tomorrow, or this season. I mean, it's possible that at some point in his career, he wants to play for the Montreal Canadiens. That is true. Uh, but I don't think that it, as we've talked about for weeks, Huss, I mean, I, you know my opinion on this. I think Pierre-Luc Dubois is a Winnipeg Jet in the fall. And I think that's a good thing for both parties. Um, I understand that the uh, the uh, echo chamber and some people say that if you don't want to be here long term, get out of here. I don't think that that's right. I don't think you should have to feel that way. Uh, he has the Jets have two years of team control. Um, I understand that next summer, if it's if we're having the same conversations, it's, it could be a bit of a challenge. And the Jets cannot afford to lose Pierre-Luc Dubois for nothing. But they are under no obligation, and I don't think it helps their situation one bit to think they have to trade him right now. We know that the importance of the season to Pierre-Luc Dubois personally and professionally and financially, and we know that the Jets are a better team when Pierre-Luc Dubois is in their lineup. So for me, that's the most important thing. As long as Pierre-Luc Dubois plays hard and there is, like I said, no evidence in a Winnipeg Jets jersey that Pierre-Luc Dubois is not going to show up for work, do his job to the best of his ability, He's 24 years old. He's trying to become the best player possible. And Huss, we've talked about this. 
you're not becoming an $8 million plus player by dogging it. So I don't see Pierre-Luc Dubois dogging it. And honestly, the fact that people want him to make all of the decisions for the rest of his life at 24, I think those people need to wake up, quite frankly, Huss. Were you ready to, to make your life commitment at 24? I know I certainly wasn't. No, but I certainly wouldn't have had a hard time saying, oh, I'm going to play this year, and at the end we'll talk about them, and I think everything's on the table as opposed to doing everything he could. I mean, Hubert and Weger said. had he been did, in he Calgary. He did say everything was on the table. He did say everything was on well, the table, Huss. I, if that, that's the way you read it? Well, I, I, I transcribed the quotes. He legitimately said everything was on the table to the answer about Goudreau and and uh, Johnny, sorry, Goudreau and Kachuk. Everything is on the table. You know, I mean... He said I'll, he would, sorry, he didn't say, you know, I asked him directly if he was open to a longer-term relationship. He said, we'll look at it next summer. I mean, that's not a declaration. No, I understand that. But it's also not a declaration to say, I want to get the hell out of here, which is how some people have been interpreting it for the last three weeks. Yeah, well, though, for sure. And I think for obvious reasons, I mean, with all the reports coming out, I mean, I know he sort of pushed back on why he was at the draft. He was, hey, he got a nice spread from his bank in a suite. I mean, who says no to that? I mean, I mean, okay. I don't say no to that. Huh? So I, hey, I wish I had known what suite he was in. <laughs> no I'm not sure I could have got past security, though. Um, but here's the thing, and this goes back, and I sort of mentioned this coming in. We had a great chat with Rick Bonus. I love this positivity. I loved his thought process going in. But I specifically asked him on Friday, Ken, about, you know, the importance of having guys here that were that were committed, were happy to be here, that were committed to being Winnipeg Jets and that didn't have one foot out the door. And and he said that a number of players said to him, we want guys that want to be here. We want guys that I have no doubt that Dubois knows that even if it's entirely self, it's entirely just in his self-interest that having a good season is the best thing for him. But um, would it be better for the Winnipeg Jets if they know that this isn't likely ending in Dubois being somewhere else to get ahead of that, to get... I mean, I guess the most important thing is you do want to trade him at the height of his value. So, I mean, there's a debate whether that's now, whether that's at the trade deadline. Um, but is this going to be a story about the future of Dubois that's sort of always hanging over him right now over the course of this season? And is that something that is good for the team or for Rick Bonus coming in in year number one? Well, that's the big thing. And, you know, you mentioned Mark Scheifele. I mean, we've been talking about this also for several months also. So does P the uncertainty surrounding Pierre-Luc Dubois impact how Rick Bonus plays Mark Scheifele and Pierre-Luc Dubois? We've been talking about this for two years. How is the ice time allocation going to be happening? So do you play, can you have the passing of the proverbial torch if you're not sure Dubois is there beyond one year? I mean, that's a bigger question for me, Huss. In terms of the bigger picture question about what it means for the Jets, the Jets need Pierre-Luc Dubois to be playing well or have a reasonable facsimile. And I don't see the Jets being offered a reasonable facsimile today. So if you're not getting offered a reasonable facsimile or someone's better or a combination of players who give you the production that Dubois can give you, I'm personally rolling the dice with Dubois. I mean, I understand that I'm the president of the PLD fan club in terms of how his game translates on the ice, but I don't think you need to get ahead of it by two years. I mean, I know everyone's talking about the Kachuk deal. When was Matthew Kachuk traded? One year before unrestricted free agency. All that Brad Treleving was able to get was substantial, more substantial if he can sign one or two of the players in Uyghur or Huberdeau, but he got a good return. So 
the only way the Jets' return does not increase is if Dubois' stock drops. And that means he doesn't play well, he doesn't take the next step, he doesn't get to 30 goals, he doesn't get to 75 to 80 points. Is that a possibility? Of course it is. But the person that I listened to yesterday, Huss, sounded like someone who's pretty darn motivated to have the best year of his career. And guess what? He just had the second best year of his – he had the best year of his career, even if he had one more point as a 20-year-old with the Columbus Blue Jackets. In terms of his engagement and all-around game, Dubois was the best version of himself last year. And let's get real. He's probably going to be better next year because he's a year older and another year removed from all those injuries and COVID and everything else that impacted his training and everything else. So I understand that people want resolution and, and, and the drama piece. Could it be a concern? Of course. But we had these same questions about Patrick Laine going into the season. And what did he do? He was the best player on the ice in the first game that he played. Now, none of us could have known that was the last game he was going to play. But for all of the talk about, oh, well, this Laine situation is going to drag out for six months, 12 months, it dragged out for one month, and most of that was because of the injury. So Patrick Laine showed up, had a great camp, had a really good game, two goals and an assist, including the overtime winner. And speaking of Johnny Hockey... Well, and they traded well, him after one game. So, I mean, let's well, well, no, talk about he, that. That was because he was hurt, though, Huss. I mean, they traded him after one game because he was hurt and also because of the way things ended for Dubois. My point being, all the questions about Lining, he was the best player on the ice, and on the game winner, he beat Johnny Hockey down the ice to score the game winner. Right? Yeah, I mean, after I, the block shot, he scored the goal. I mean, are you triggering me right now? Are you I'm doing sorry. this on purpose? <laughs> no, I, I'm not. I, I'm embarrassed yes. to say this, but I went back and watched those highlights last week. We were talking <laughs> with Dubois so much, and I went back, and I'm like, let me get love, this straight. This was this was the last game that this guy played for us. What the? Anyways. Uh, hey, well, you know what? Know. Serious question for that. Sure. I mean, because there's sure. not – I mean, I'll bring it up, but so does – the majority of Jet fans, I mean, people have long memories. We know how great Line A was here in Winnipeg. We know what he did for the team. We know how popular he was. He's now signed a four-year extension in Columbus. Roslovic's extended there as well. How much more pressure does this put on Dayoff to get this one right? More than any other move that he's maybe ever made as GM of the Jets. Asa, I agree with you. I think the, the, the next move, whenever it comes has the ability to define Kevin Sheveldayoff's tenure as general manager of the Winnipeg Jets. He's made a lot of very important moves. And Hus, I think if you know, we look back to some of the conversations we were having at the time of the deal on the other network, the risks were heavy at the time, and they continue to be, especially given the circumstances that we saw last Friday. A lot of people, I was not one of them. I think you can re you can check the receipts, Remo. Uh, I was in the camp that thought Line was going to re-sign in Columbus. Now, again, it's not a seven-year deal, but it's a four-year deal to establish market value. Patrick said himself when he was here, he found an organization where he can be comfortable. He is comfortable. And now, and now it is, we'll see how it goes. But, I mean, this right now is a clear win, you know, it's a clear win for Yarmo Kekalainen because most people thought Line had almost zero chance of re-signing. Now he's spending another four seasons. So at a, at a, you know, and what, what were we always talking about, Hus? Line wanted 10 million from the Jets, 10 by eight. So he had to take 8.7, but he's where he's did okay that come that. from, by the way? Where did what come from? Like that 10 million. I've heard that thrown out by fans and stuff. I mean, has that ever so actually been reported? Yeah, I mean, the, they were looking for between nine and a half and ten million dollars his camp. So I mean. Right now, I mean, he had one of the tough seasons, and then last year he was great, and then had a bit of a tough, tough finish. Um, 
you know, but again, 8.7 mil, like we're, we're not having to hold the thrift on four years. I mean, to me, I mean, that basically is, I mean, if you want it like that, that's uh, in a lot of ways, the equivalent of the Kachuk deal. I mean, Hey, if you're going to get four more years, it's going to cost more. I mean, for sure. And, I and think you, the perfect you bought deal for both three teams. FA years, right? You bought yeah. three years. If you're buying five or six years, that number goes from 8.7 to 10, 10 mil, or nine and a half or 10 mil. But I mean, I think it's a good deal for both sides. Um, man, if you're Johnny Gaudreau and you, I mean, you had no reservations about signing in Columbus, but the fact that this is one of the elite passers in the NHL, uh, what have we been talking about? Oh, well, nobody's on line A's line. How do you expect him to score 40? Well, I'm pretty sure that you can mark 40 plus in pen for line A if he's going to be playing with Johnny Hockey for the next four seasons. I mean, so back to your original premise, Huss, does that mean Kevin Cheveldayoff needs to, I don't think a ground rule double is good enough on the next deal for Dubois. He's going to have to hit a home run, right? I mean, that that's basically what we're talking about here. I mean, you can't turn you can't turn Patrick Line into two good players at the end of this deal. You need to get a foundational piece back whenever the best deal comes for Pierre-Luc Dubois, whether it's at the deadline in the offseason or whenever it is, there is pressure on Kevin Cheveldayoff to have you got to have a replacement of that of not just the one player, of the two players essentially. Yeah, and I mean, and that just brings me back to bonus in the situation that he's sort of being put in right now. I mean, uh, let me ask you this. Um, there's not a lot that's happened right now. A lot of stuff has been expected to happen, a move on the blue line. We've heard so much about Captain Blake Wheeler, but yet here we are coming into August long weekend, and none of that has happened. How realistic is that some of those moves still get done, and are you of the opinion that they do happen, or... As every day goes by, is it looking more and more like pretty much that roster that disappointed last year is going to come back intact with a new head coach? Yeah, for me, I mean, I'm going to stay with the same same tact here. I still believe the Jets are going to make a, an important trade before the season starts. Certainly one on the back end, and I certainly think that there's one on the front, you know, up front to you know bolster the forward group. Uh, the Jets do have very, you know, they still have a solid top six. I mean, they have you're going to have at least two thirds of your checking line intact. And you have guys like David Gustafson, Morgan Barron and other players who are ready for an enhanced role. So I do think their forward group has improved. I think that by incorporating Billy Hainala and Dylan Sandberg, their defense course should improve. I think that Neil Pionk is, you know, if you're going to the cool bets uh, lock shop, Huss, I mean, I'm pretty sure you can mark down Neil Pionk for a better season than he had last year. I would be confident in in putting down on that, even though, you know, I'm not really a gambling man. Uh, and I think that Connor Hellebuck, even though some of his underlying numbers and metrics were still pretty good, I expect Hellebuck with a full summer of, of a full offseason that started on May 2nd to be refreshed and ready to roll for another 60, 62 starts uh, in the fall. So I think that the Jets are going to be improved, but I still think that they're looking to improve the roster. I mean, they have between five and six million dollars available after the RFA deals for Gustafson and Appleton are done to look at the forward group. And also another thing that I would keep an eye on us, the Arizona Coyotes, they've wanted to make a trade for Jacob Chikrin for basically as long as we longer than we've been talking about Pierre-Luc Dubois. So they're either being very patient or their offers are not at the level that they've been anticipating either. Another player with the Arizona Coyotes that I would keep my eyes on Lawson Kraus, 20 plus goal guy last year. Six foot four, he's 200, almost 20 pounds. He's not a prototypical power forward in terms of his physical nature, but he's a big, strong guy. So to me, if you're rebuilding and you have an RFA who's looking at a significant raise, 
I'm not sure he fits with the Arizona Coyotes unless they're going long-term with him. So I know the Jets have been linked to the Arizona Coyotes a little bit. I would say keep an eye on Lawson Kraus. And if we were looking bigger picture, what about a deal that would involve Chikrin and Kraus? That would be a significant roster upgrade for a team that is looking for one. Now, it doesn't it doesn't solve the logjam, but then some of those left-handed defensemen are probably going back the other direction, and then you can go from there. But um, again, I think here, here's another example. We're, we're all used to the NHL taking a one-month hiatus in August. The calendar's still a little bit jumbled here. It's getting closer to normal, but I think a lot of those GMs that are used to being able to relax in August a lot of them have significant business that they need to take care of, and they're going to have to get that business taken care of. The fact that Nazem Kadri does not have a contract, this is one of the, he was a top 10 player last year, Hus. He has not been able to secure a long-term contract yet. Now, well, some of that's his own patience, but, I mean, teams are trying to clear out the money, and we know that the New York Islanders are one of those teams. But the fact that the Colorado Avalanche haven't fully closed the door, and... I also think the fact that Paul Stassi's not signed because he's waiting to see if the Colorado Avalanche are making room for Nazem Kadri. If they don't, I think Paul Stassi slides right into that job and you see him and JT Comfer flip-flopping between the second and third line center role during the course of the season and see how it goes. But uh, I, I think that the Jets aren't the only team in this position, us. It's just they're a team that needs to make a few moves in order to accomplish what they wanted to achieve going into the offseason. You know what? I mean, I'm with you on, uh, you know, feeling that the team should defensively be better, um, you know, under Rick bonus and, you know, with bounce back season from, uh, from Neil, I will push back though on the forward group. I mean, I don't know how we can look at this forward group right now and say they're better than they were last year. Oh, I didn't I mean, say they, they were don't... better than us. What I'm saying is that Nikolai Ehlers missed a substantial amount of time. If Nikolai Ehlers is healthy for 82 games, it's a 42, it's a 40 goal guy. So I think that their top six is still, I would say, I would put their top six up against, most teams in the Western Conference and think that they're, I certainly don't think they're in the bottom third in terms of their skill and ability. Now, again, that didn't translate into success last year, uh, but I don't think it was, you know, they did have trouble scoring goals at times, but it was more their inability to defend. That's why the Jets missed the playoffs last year. So, you know, you and I are assuming structurally improve, structural improvement under Rick Bonus, And I think that's a pretty safe assumption as long as the buy-in is there. But where they need to get things going is improved special teams. And they're going to need their offense to be a little bit more consistent because there were far too many nights where they scored two or fewer. And even with Connor Hellebuck scoring two or fewer, you're putting an enormous amount of pressure on your netminders. So that's why I think that there still have to be improvements. This team does not have Andrew Kopp or Paul Stastny. So no, they're not better offensively right now. Paul Perfetti will help bridge some of the gap, but they still need... Uh, at least a middle six forward. I mean, we've talked about Evan Rodriguez being a guy that, you know, did a great job with the Pittsburgh Penguins. I think Danton Heinen had a very similar year uh, with the Penguins as well. Both of those guys make sense to me. And Sonny Milano still, I think, is, is unless something happened in the time that I was on my call, uh, these are all three guys to me that fit the budget and the type of player the Jets would be looking for in terms of those upgrades. Now, unless they're looking for, like I said, a Lawson Krause or somebody in a trade, I mean, I still think that there's opportunities out there to improve the personnel. And I think the Jets are looking to improve the personnel, even though Kevin Shevoldev said he'd be comfortable in the core. He's still, like we said last week, he still, that doesn't mean he's not trying to enhance the core or improve the core. You know, um, uh, to get back to Wheeler for a minute and Wheeler's situation, I mean, I said a 
million times last year on this program and when people would bring up trading Wheeler, I kind of said, well, good luck with that. I mean, you know, with the two years left and the eight plus million dollar deal, uh, I didn't see it happening. Now, we heard all sorts of reports that it was possible that he was in on it. Maybe you expand the number of teams. But when you look at the Vegas Golden Knights had to literally give away Max Pacioretty, who makes less money and is only one year of term. And then maybe the most shocking deal of it all was Bjorkstrand going for almost nothing. I mean, this is a guy that had almost 30 goals and 60 points last year and is signed for another three or four years at a relatively reasonable rate. Um, do you still think it's possible that the Jets do move from Blake Wheeler? And if they do, what does that trade look like and where does that leave their forward group? Yeah, it's a great question, Huston. I mean, I would say that Oliver Bjorkstrand, I'd love to know what the Jets' offer was on Bjorkstrand. I mean, you would think, I mean, I understand they have, you know, their last year was the first year they were back to having all of their picks, but I mean, for a team that's looking for offense and cost certainty, I mean, Bjorkstrand is a guy who would have made a lot of sense. No, he's not a big physical player, but I mean, this is a tenacious forward that that can put up offense. So uh, I would have thought that there would have been some calls made, and, and that could have been one of those things where, not not last minute, but I don't think the Columbus Blue Jackets were shopping Oliver Bjorkstrand. Otherwise, I think they would have got a better offer. But it just goes to show you that the value of having cap space, what it means to certain teams, which is what we've been talking about for the last month or six weeks, us. I mean, I understand the Jets holding firm on not wanting to retain salary if there's a deal to be made. But in this economy, it's hard to envision a contending team being able to absorb the $8.25 million dollars. And you know how I feel about this. Blake Wheeler is still a productive player. 60 points in 65 games at 35 years old is a great season by any standard. But not a lot of teams can afford that. So you need to have a, you know, a conduit or a team that's a third party. But if it doesn't cost you salary retention, it's going to cost you a prospect or a player. So, I mean, ultimately, that's how Kevin Chevaldeff is going to have to decide. And, you know, here's the other part. It's also possible that with the benefit of going home in May or June or whenever the Wheeler's headed back home, that, and since the calls with Rick Bonus, maybe the perspective has changed and, you know, maybe Blake Wheeler's comfortable riding shotgun with Pierre-Luc Dubois and Kyle Connor, whether that's the first line or the second line or whatever you want to call it. Uh, maybe that's changed also. I mean, that, here's the thing. How comfortable they, is the team though? I mean, like, well, let's face I, I it, know. there's a that, reason. I mean, that's, I, yeah, that's we don't know me. what those conversations are like. I mean, does, I mean, we talked about this when Rick Bonus was hired. When Rick Bonus was hired, one of the reasons, whether Kevin Sheveldayoff said it or not, was his ability to transition Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn, two of the top wage earners on the Dallas Stars, into a complementary role. So, we're not talking about some guy with no experience trying to tell a veteran player, hey, Blake, I need you to play 17 minutes, not 22, and I need you to be okay with it. You know what I mean? So it, I, we have to assume those conversations are taking place, and Blake's reaction to Rick Bonus having those kinds of conversations will tell you all we need to know about whether or not Blake Wheeler will be back. Right, us? I mean... There's no other way to interpret that without talking to the player directly, right? So for me, the only thing Blake is that Wheeler, they like these talks about Wheeler wanting to leave and the and it being mutually agreed that maybe that was the best uh, best option 
predates Rick Bonus being hired. I mean, exactly. I'm not sure whether just... Bonus comes in and just changes the equation, but I mean, the fact that they were looking to go down this road at least indicates to me that they I, that they had identified that there will be some gain, even though it's pretty clear that if you trade the productivity of Wheeler, you're taking a hit when it comes to the talent on paper of your hockey team. I mean. I hate to use the addition by subtraction line for a guy that's been so important to this team and been a mainstay in the lineup since 2011, but it's pretty hard to ignore that that has to be a piece of the equation. And I think that makes it harder or at least maybe a little more tricky for him to come back. If he does come back, by the way, is he the captain? How do you see that playing out? Yeah, it's a great question. I'll I'll tackle the other one first. I mean, I would say, I mean, and you know this because you were doing some work in that market. How many people wanted Johnny Gaudreau back with the Calgary Flames last year after they missed the playoffs? Almost nobody. People were willing to drive Johnny Hockey to the airport and get him on the first plane to Philadelphia. Well, they brought the TNT right into the saddle dome. They are ready to <laughs> blow it up. Exactly. And so what happened with Johnny Hockey? Now you fast forward one year. Now people are up in arms that he left after he put up 114 point season Hus. So Things change quickly, and I'll say this though: of, that the thing about Gaudreau was that changes quickly. Yeah. Us, but but the, the fans aren't stupid, and they also oh. realize that this was a real good player, and that he had one year left. It probably, I mean, in their mind, he wasn't coming back. So they wanted this team to avoid what happened at the end of last season and get sitting there holding the bag with him leaving, regardless of how great the season was. Yeah, but uh, how many times did you hear people say, you know what, you should trade Johnny Hockey at the deadline? Zero. Zero people said that because sometimes that's the cost well, of They were a business. cup contender. Yeah, absolutely. You don't it would have been a different story player. if they were in fourth place. But what I'm telling you is that Johnny Hockey had a poor season in the bubble year. I mean, he was nowhere near a point-of-game player. People wanted him out of town. Right now, people think they want Blake Wheeler out of town. That's not to say, again, this is apples and oranges. One guy is younger whatever else. But like you said, Blake has been the most productive member of this organization for 11 years. And some people don't have to like the way he leads. I get it. It's not for everybody and it can be an acquired taste. But for a guy who wants to win, if if Rick Bonus suddenly jarred something in Blake's memory, or on the flip side, if your options are playing for the Arizona Coyotes or trying to give it a go in the place you've made your home, in the last 11 years, I'm thinking some concessions could be made by Blake Wheeler that could make it appealing for both himself and the hockey club. Now, again, these are a lot of assumptions we're making because we haven't been able to talk to the player and and won't until he shows up for training camp. And even then, is Blake going to be completely forthcoming about what the nature of those conversations were? That's up to Blake. I mean, Blake is as forthcoming as he wants to be. Sometimes he's very forthcoming. But a lot of times he leaves it to you to read between the lines. And I would say the exact same thing we've been saying about Dubois. The only thing that matters is how Blake Wheeler plays if he is in a Winnipeg Jets uniform. And one thing we know for sure about Blake Wheeler, he spends very little time sulking or not playing his behind off. So I mean, if something's needed to change in the room, by all means, get those things sorted out. And if that means having a new captain, I mean, we'll find out soon enough. I don't think that unless Blake Wheeler doesn't want to be the captain of the Winnipeg Jets, I think Blake Wheeler is the captain in October, as long as he's on the roster. doesn't mean other guys can't take on a more important role in terms of the leadership. But, I mean, 
if one of the people people thought that might be a future captain is potentially out of the out of the organization within a year, now it's up to other people to kind of step up in the leadership void. So that's, I, I would have said, you know, and I have said on this show, I was over 50% that Blake was gone. If you're asking me today, I'm not sure. I, I, for me, it's still a coin flip. Right now, it's still 50-50. And again, we don't know what the offers have been or what the nature of the conversations are. But I would also say this, and this is something that's important. I have said it before. I will say it again. When a team loses a lot, it's easy for things to erode, Huss. And if we look at what happened to the Jets since 2019, the erosion is real. There would be frustration. And this is one thing, too. I hope there's frustration because this team thought they were a cup contender or they were a cup contender in 2019 and they have not sniffed it since. So I don't want it to be a moment where people are super happy about underperforming. That's not, then you're never going to dig your way out of the hole. So do I think, you know, what's best for the Jets? We don't know right now, Huss, because the Jets can't afford to give Blake Wheeler away. And if that was their intention, then they should have bought him out. But again, it's easy for you and I to say that because it's not our money that's being paid for someone not to play for the organization. No, especially I, when you consider what he's given in those 11 seasons. No, no, I agree 100%. And to be honest with you, I mean, we talked about this towards the end of the season. I love the way Blake was playing. I think that he was, right. I mean, a consummate professional doing all those things. But that even more so, I think, indicates that the will of the team to be going down this road was not a hockey trade. I mean, there was no, I don't think there's any way you could argue that if you're trading Blake Wheeler at his salary and age with what he's done, that you're making your team better on the ice. It was quite clear that the, um, the impetus for this was a cultural change to really move over from the Maurice Wheeler and to an extent Shifley, although it sounds like he's back as well, and have a fresh start, have a new leader of the club, and to move on for that. Um, which, again, if that doesn't happen, I mean, I'll tell you, they're probably better on paper on the ice. But I just wonder that if you've come to that determination thinking this is something that would be good for us to go ahead and do, and you don't do that, are we basically just giving a mulligan or potentially worse, asking for a repeat of the way last season went south and the bad feelings around the team that, you know, many people thought were happening? Yeah, I mean, I just don't see that being the case, Huss. I mean, if you've made the decision now that, I mean, Again, we're forced to read between the lines because no one is telling us. I mean, we it's been reported and it's been found out by other people, but no one's saying, it's like people saying, uh, people in my DMs are saying, well, no, Dubois said he was testing under six free agency. Well, no, it was reported by colleague Elliot Friedman that that was the intent. The player didn't say it. And unless people are being completely uh, having a chug of the truth serum before talking, we don't know what the state of the affairs are with either the player or the team. And we may never know until a trade is made or until he shows up for camp. So I understand where you're coming from us. I would say that Blake Wheeler's body of work would suggest that he's going to show up and do his job properly. Um, whether that's, and the other, let's use the San Jose Sharks as an example. Uh, did Joe Thornton get traded when he was stripped of the captaincy? Did Patrick Marlowe? Not right away. I mean, these guys still fit in. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen here. But if that is a concern and if a change is made, that doesn't mean the player checks out or 
is hanging around with his lip hanging out. I mean, that's not Blake Wheeler's style. So, in fact, it probably would would motivate him even more to have a more productive season if that were to be the case. So, I mean, it's super interesting, Gus. I mean, I, I would love to have the answer on this. But right now, we're definitely in a wait-and-see type of mode. But I don't think if Blake Wheeler is here, I don't think you will see a 60-point player become a 40-point player, nor do I see him hanging around and being a guy who gets into the addition by subtraction phase that has been held by several players previously. Well, I mean, the one thing I'll say is, I mean, it's very likely that maybe you go from a 60-point player to a 40-point player if you're not playing a minute 40 of every power play and you're not on the first line all the time, which has sort of been the norm. Maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but you know what I'm saying. He's always been in that spot, and I'm not sure whether that spot is there under the new head coach. And, you know, I have to think that maybe that was part of the thinking of, you know, maybe they wanted to go down this road. Bottom line is, in all this, we know that they've been talking about trade. We know that he apparently reportedly has been open to it. Yeah. I just think that making it happen is quite clearly going to be harder than done. And even even if they were essentially able to patch a ready him and get someone, which I don't think is there, but say, yeah, we'll take him and the contract and here's a seventh rounder or future considerations. Where does that leave the team? I mean, certainly you'd have some more money if you're not taking it on. Um, and maybe we're talking about more of those players that you mentioned that are still out there on the free agent market. I just think it's going to be incredibly difficult to do. And if that's the case, everything that's happened this summer on top of last season um, will make it an even more interesting gathering for everybody when they show up at training camp. For sure. And, and here's the other part. I said, again, I, I don't want to, to beat this drum again, but I mean, if the Jets were able to do that, and what if they did spend the money on Nazem Kadri? Well, in the short term, it looks like a great, great deal. But now we're having the same conversation in five years about a legacy contract, right? I mean, th this is the thing that this is what the all general managers have to have. That's the tug of war with themselves, right? I mean, does Nazem Kadri make the Jets a better team today? Of course he does. But at what cost and at what term of the contract? I well, mean, yeah, I don't, I don't think. I mean, I, I put it this way. I haven't spent almost any time thinking about no, a player no, no, like okay. that. Sorry, Kadri, but the guys that, that you mentioned. An example. But the guys example. that you mentioned, Milano. I, it's, it's funny you picked those guys. Those were the three guys I talked about yesterday on the program. Evan Rodriguez, Sonny Milano, and Danton Heinen. Those players are not getting deals of the money or the term that Nazem Kadri no. get and might fit in perfectly in this sort of transitional period from the Maurice era, if you will, into the bonus era with the Winnipeg Jets and what that means for the turnover amongst players inside the lineup. For sure. And I mean, even too, I know that the analyst community will be thrilled. I mean, I mean, what if the Jets are one of the teams calling about Jesse Pugliarvi? I mean, we know they were interested in him in his draft year. So what teams are looking for us is simple. You are looking for the next Val Nachushkin. Now, how do you pull that rabbit out of a hat? It's pretty difficult. But if you can find him and not have to pay him the money that he got to stay in Colorado, that's how teams go from mediocre to very good, right? So why is it taking so long for those three guys to sign? Are they waiting for other shoes to drop? Are the Jets, you know, maybe the offers aren't high enough? I mean, again, we don't know this without knowing what the negotiations are like. But I think all me, of it depends on, you know, what teams are able to 
get some money off their cap right now. I think it's quite clear. I mean, I think Nazem sure, Kadri would sign teams, though, right? in 10 no, no, minutes. I mean, if Sam Girard gets traded, if Sam Girard gets traded from the Colorado Avalanche, I expect Nazem Kadri's name <laughs> on a contract five minutes later. I mean, essentially, I that's say. what I'm thinking. And I'm sure the agents for those players have some options right now that aren't as good as they thought that they'd be able to get. And realize that there are some teams that are trying to make some room for those players and maybe they'll be there. Now, whether the Jets are one of those teams that are trying to do that or whether there's one of those teams that have an offer out there that's not up to their liking or they think they can do better, I guess I'm not sure. At some point, the dam is going to break on this, but and it ties into the Wheeler con- the Wheeler discussion we've had and all sorts of things. I'm not sure anyone, even though we knew it was coming, could imagine the importance of cap space right now and how important that is and what the value of getting that is when making a trade right now. And there's no better example of it than the Columbus trade of Bjorkstrand and what happened with Pacioretty going to the, going to the Canes. Bang on us. And the other thing that, I mean, we expect that most of the GMs would know but we're not privy to the information in many markets. How many teams are actually going to be, what's your internal cap? I mean, I'm not saying the Jets, the Jets have said they expect to still be a cap ceiling team, but how many of the, is it half the teams are are closer to the mid range and how many are going to be at the floor or near the floor? That to me is the big question. And that must be what the waiting chicken and egg game with the agents is. You're looking at a team that has, 11 million in cap space what if they don't plan on using any of it right i mean that's the thing that in terms of trying to figure out where the market is and where the market will shift or you know what if the what if the owner now says my projections for season tickets are three thousand less you need to get rid of player x who was supposed to make four million now suddenly player x is available in a trade and only five teams can trade for him right i mean that's the thing for me it's beautiful to have places like Puckpedia and Cap Friendly, but without knowing what the teams are willing to spend, that's where the, you know, sort of the holdup in the market seems to be right now, us, because obviously some teams have room and they don't intend on using that money. Or what if somebody has a guy that's got to go on LTIR and you need to say, you know, we talk about Montreal. What if price has to go back on LTIR? I mean, that's $10.5 million dollars but you got to get them back on. You got to have them on the roster at the beginning to get the full savings, right? I mean, there's a bunch of situations that are very much up in the air. And I think it's sort of whether that's being patient or overly patient, only time will tell, but it's on both sides. It's not just the teams. The agents are running the risk of all of a sudden, now your player's got to take a PTO when you thought he was supposed to make two and a half million dollars in the year. Now, again, I'm not saying that's happening to the three players we talked about, but depending on the situation you want to be in as a player, there isn't a ton of money available right now. And the opportunities are probably even less so than the money available because a lot of teams have their own young guys that if you're not winning or if you're if you're tanking or openly rebuilding, maybe you don't want a 27-year-old player when you have a 22-year-old that's in your system and is going to make the league minimal, right? I mean, that's the other part that is really probably holding up the marketplace. But yeah. if you want to spend, Huss, you spend. That's why Florida made the move they did, and that's why they backed up the truck to the Kachuk household. 
Well, and I think part of the reason is that they knew they wanted to, if they were going to get Kachuk, they needed to make that long-term commitment. And if anything that that trade indicated to me is that they're reading the tea leaves and realizing that, okay, if we've got all these guys on, we're not going to be able to sign Huberto. We're not going to be able to sign Mackenzie Weger. So we'll put those both of those guys with one year left on term. We'll get a guy that can be a franchise cornerstone going forward. But it cost them big time. And I'm not sure you can make an argument that the Florida Panthers are better right now than they were at the end of the last season. In fact, I think they've taken a step back yeah but the other thing with that too Hus, they have even though it's a high cost they have cost certainty for the next eight seasons oh, yeah. on a on, on a player who is viewed as a unicorn and, that, and that's not a not i mean Mackenzie weaker had a tough goal in the playoffs against tampa bay i mean check the highlight reels but this is a guy that if you're a calgary or probably 25 to 30 other teams you want that guy on your blue line and you want to try to sign him to a long year long-term deal and huberto is a great pickup by brad trelevin i mean this is a guy that does all of the things that Johnny Hockey does, but he's probably a little bit better defensively. I mean, there's almost, there's probably no drop off. And there might even be an improvement at some point because, again, because of the motivation for either what you want to be paid as a UFA or in a long term deal with, with Calgary. I mean, that's a great deal for Brad Shaliving, but it also provides some certainty for Florida. But again, what if Brad Living wasn't comfortable at nine point? Again, we won't know this because Brad doesn't have to show his cards. He traded the player because the player didn't want to stay. What if Brad Living wasn't comfortable playing Matthew Kachuk $9.5 million for eight seasons? I mean, it's possible that he was, of course. But, I mean, here's the other thing, Hus. I mean, Kachuk didn't have a great series against the Edmonton Oilers. And that should have been a series where he was the best player and in the heart of all of the action. So. But at the same time, his game one was excellent and his season was excellent. So all teams take a risk every time a move is made, but both teams are comfortable with the risk. And I think it's probably this could be one of those moves. Honestly, we're always so quick to declare who won this, who lost this. What's it going to be? I mean, let's check back in three to five years and see where things are at. I mean, we're not going to know for sure, no matter how bold the declarations are today. I appreciate the boldness of the move that Brad Living made under very tough circumstances. I also appreciate the fact that Bill Zito saw a player that he didn't have enough of in his roster. So, right. I mean, you can't say that, uh, I mean, they lost Mason Marchment, but I mean, Mason Marchment's nowhere near the, has nowhere near the production that Matthew Kachuk has. He has the feistiness and he has the potential to grow into a similar player. But I mean, you're getting a, you're getting a proven commodity, but what back, I love your term law of diminishing returns. How many of those eight years is Matthew Kachuk going to be a 100-point guy? How many of those years is he going to play at the physical nature that we're used to seeing him in? I mean, if it's for the majority of those eight years or if they put a banner up, guess what? Bill Zito did everything that he should have done. I mean, we talk about all the time about, oh, the Jets are too conservative, too conservative. Hey, I get it, Huss. I'm like you. I saw the Twitter list of players that Bill Zito has lost in the offseason and what he's given up to get those players. But guess what? The team that won two of the last three cups and was in all three finals resides in his division. So are we suddenly saying, you know, bad on you, Bill Zito, for trying to make your team different, if not better? I mean, this is what I, this is the beauty of fandom, Hus. When a team does nothing, they want them to do everything. When a team does everything, all of a sudden they want them to do nothing. I mean, come on, you can't have both sides of the coin. You have to mm. you have to be, see how it plays out. The the best part of the, the Florida offseason is that no one can be giving Maurice a hard time for not playing his first round picks because they've traded every one of them <laughs> during the entire duration of his contract. 
Well, I mean, again, I think that that Paul Maurice is going to welcome the roster that is is rolling in. And and here's the other part, Huss. I mean, the fact that Anton Lundell had such a great year, that probably makes you comfortable moving some of the other pieces that you've moved. Like, this is a guy who went in as a third-line player, essentially, and he was on one of the best third lines in hockey. So you're expecting further growth from him in his next season. I mean, are they going to miss Mason Marchman? Of course they are. Are they going to miss Mackenzie Weger? Of course, but they have Aaron Ekblad. So, I mean, it's not an embarrassment of riches, but you you traded from a position of strength to bring in a couple of different kinds of players, and you still have to – the road to the cup final will still go through Tampa in the East in a lot of ways. So I applaud Bill Zito for trying to be creative in, in terms of how he's trying to improve his hockey team. Is it going to work for sure? Absolutely not, but he's taking a swing and good on him. And, I mean, if it doesn't work out, Huss – you know, we know what the next thing is, you know, you're not going to have your job for much longer, <laughs> but I applaud the fact that he had the support of his ownership to make some bold moves. And Hey, if you get close, we know this us from seeing it here in Winnipeg in 2018, if you get close, you better take a swing because it's really hard to win, right? It's really, really hard to win. I- Never mind the people in Toronto, right? I mean, we talk about Florida. Guess what? If you're the Leafs, are you better right now than you were at the end of last season? I don't know. I, I, I'm not saying yes to, to that. I mean, I think they've got huge questions in goal. Right. I mean, that's that's the, the, the biggest one. Although I thought they did make some pretty good... Agreed. Bottom bottom of the of the roster signings. I mean, Young Crow getting four years, but at $2.1 million. I mean, uh, the thing is, when you have the investments that the Leafs do in those top players. I mean, essentially every offseason is filling a bunch of, uh, in fantasy, we call them the low-dollar ballers. You know what I'm saying? The the minimum wage dudes that kind of come in adding it out. And, um, you know, obviously we'll see what happens. I mean, the Matt Murray thing is a bit of a risk, and obviously Samsonov comes in with a lot to prove on a one-year deal. I mean, could they be better? Yeah, but... I still think with that team, it's going to come down to whether they can stop the puck and do the big boys that are taking all that cap space get the job done when it counts. Yeah, bang on. And that's the thing, right? So you're counting on your core, right? You're counting on the core four forwards that are making the big dollars, right? So that means Nylander, that means Tavares, that means Marner, that means Matthews. Uh, After we, you know, hurt trophy season, what's next for Austin Matthews? I mean, he missed a few games because of injury. I mean, how high is the ceiling there, right? But for them, it's about what they get done when it counts the most. And one quick one on Yarn Crow Cuss. I mean, interesting that the Jets, I've the information that I've been able to gather, I know it's been out there a little bit. The Jets offered Yarn Crow more money. So, I mean, the fact that they were, were taking a swing on a two-way player that can play center or wing would suggest that they're in the market for the type of player that we talked about. Yarn Croak obviously is more experienced than the majority of the players we talked about in, in Heinen and Rodriguez, but that's a similar style of player, a guy that can skate big body and can give you some secondary or complementary offense. Yarn Croak, really good from the division. You know, they would have known him from all that time in Nashville uh, where he was a very effective player. So I just think it was interesting to, that that kind of came to light in the in the days after the sign yeah. there. So uh, he would have looked good. I mean, it's a guy they know quite a bit from playing against him all those years in the Central Division. I'll just say this: that the Panthers do win the Cup, <laughs> you will see Bill Zito up there at the celebration, boring the shirt from Rams general manager Les Snead that said "F them picks" because uh, they've traded all their picks, so they better get it done. Weaver, this was a lot of fun. What are you working on this week, uh, other than your handicap? 
<laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I had a couple of uh, Dubois stories. I, I probably dig into a little bit of the, the projected depth chart at some point. I've been trying to wait until there's been a move made on that front, but uh, you know, it's not quite quiet time yet. But we're uh, we're in that little bit of a quieter time. But uh, like you, I'm going to keep my eyes on NFL training camps being open and. Uh, interesting, another another important game for the uh, blue and gold here coming up against the Stamps. I think it's another uh, great tilt, and it's an interesting month, right? So the, the the Bombers will play the Stamps after their bye week, and then on the 25th, the Bombers will host the, the Stamps after their own bye week. So uh, should be an interesting tilt. Obviously, we're we're going to keep our eyes on the health of a couple of those uh, important players in uh, Ellingson and Jeffcoat, and otherwise, you know, Jays are back in action today uh, against the. Uh, against the mighty Cardinals who are unvaxxed. So it'll be interesting to yeah. see how that goes. And, we're uh, we're Arenado and Goldschmidt watching the game tonight. Get that on a St. Louis Cardinals uh, social media stream. Uh, what are your two-star players doing while they can't make it to Toronto? Kenny, great stuff as always, man. Have a good one. Hit them straight. Yep. Take care. It's great to be with you. Have a great week ahead, my man. Take good care. stuff. There's our guy, Ken Weeb, with us here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. All right, as I mentioned... The tennis world is here. A National Bank challenger. We're going to get to Vasek Pospisil in just a second. Uh, before we do that, big thanks to our friends at Not Auto Corp. Of course, the uh, proud sponsors of the Manitoba Amateur for Golf Manitoba that just finished up. And uh, big sponsors, your Bombers as well. Uh, if you're looking for a new vehicle, what are you doing? Uh, why not get into the car of your dreams at a great price with the help of the Knot team? Before you do anything, pop down and see the experts at Knot at Waverly McGilvery or check them out online at Knot.ca. And hey, our friends at Little Brown Jug have a great deal for you right now. Buy two Good Times variety packs and get a $15 gift card. That's right. Good Times all summer with Little Brown Jug. Purchase two Good Times variety packs and you will receive a $15 Little Brown Jug gift card to be used online or in the tap room. The offer goes now until July 31st at midnight. No coupon code necessary. You can pick that up at the tap room on William Avenue and uh, make sure to have a couple pints while you pop down there as well. Little Brown Jug online at littlebrownjug.ca. Um, we will be... Uh, Looking forward to next week and our Cineboy Downs picks a little later on. But uh, on the way to the track or on the way home, maybe home from a ball game uh, tonight with the kids, you want to stop in and uh, get the best treat of the summer over at the Nick and Nikki DQ group. It's always blizzard season at Dairy Queen. And you can support our great sponsors at one of four locations, the DQ in Niverville, DQ Northgate, DQ Polo Park, and DQ St. Anne's. Try all the great new summer blizzard flavors and the Stack Burgers everyone's talking about and hey if you do need a cake for an upcoming event you can always pop in and grab one ready to go or hit them up on instagram at dq manitoba get them custom cake made ready to go for you and of course as ken meant uh, mentioned blue jays back in action tonight if you got the itch you want to head out no better spot to watch the jays than your local boston pizza check out that great new summer menu including the carnitas, pizzas, and tacos. Pizza flights are back as well. And again, if you're staying at home, check out their game day deals and order online at bostonpizza.ca. All right. Tennis is back for the first time since 2019. The National Bank Challenger Tournament is here. Still looking for a Canadian to win the event after Braden Schnur lost in the finals last year. Could it be former world number 25 Vasek Pospisil, Davis Cup hero for Canada in the past? He is here in Winnipeg. 
And a little after yesterday's show, I got a chance to catch up with him before his first round match tonight at the Winnipeg Lawn Tennis Club. This is how it sounded. Fantastic. Thanks so much for doing this and welcome to Winnipeg. How are you? Yeah, no, thanks for having me. Um, I'm, I'm great. I've, my, it's my first time in Winnipeg. I flew in a show and I'm excited to be here. Well, I mean, I think there's a lot of fans uh, that'll be excited to see you in person after seeing as so much you've done as uh, one of the stars of Canadian tennis over the last number of years. First things first, I know you've been dealing uh, like often happens in this sport with a number of injuries. How are you feeling right now? And uh, where are you at coming in to try to really have this event, I'm sure, propel you to the rest of the uh, success in the rest of the season? Yeah, it's been a tough go recently. I mean, the, the last couple of years I've had uh, I've had uh, quite a few kind of, uh, you know, uh, minor major injuries, I guess. But, uh, yeah, I was out for almost four months with an elbow injury. Um, coming back, I came back about a month ago, but I've really only been pain-free the last 10 days, which is which is great. And so I, I put in a lot of work. I mean, training, obviously, I could, I could still be fit and um, – because, you know, the elbow doesn't affect the legs, right? So I was doing a lot of fitness, and I feel like I'm in great shape, and I've been training hard, and now I'm just looking for a little bit of uh, momentum, like you said, to kind of propel me into the to the remainder of the year and um, and the remainder of my career. You know, I'm 32 years old, so I, still, I think I still have, uh, you know, three, four good years in, in, ahead of me. Uh, so, you know, a, lot of, a lot of guys seem to be playing uh, into their mid-late 30s, really high level, so... Um, you know, I still got some good years, but, but right now just trying to get a bit of momentum and, um, and yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. You know, um, I'd imagine for someone that's had such a great career, that's done so many things for you. I mean, at this point when the, the years are precious, um, the mental challenge of dealing through those sorts of injuries is probably as much as the physical rehab. Yeah, I think so. Uh, for sure. Um, you know, I actually feel like mentally it's been easier as you get older with, with injuries and kind of adversity. Cause you kind of, you're, you know, you grow and, and you mature and you get better perspective on life. And, you know, I think early on in my early twenties, I mean, when I had my first injury or whenever, you know, there's a bit of adversity, you tend to make it, you know, blow it up into something, you know, a little bit out of proportion and it might actually weigh heavier on you than, you know, than, than what it needs to. And, and I feel like, um, and then as, you know, kind of I've gone through the course of my career and injuries and, and just also bringing more balance into my life and a better perspective, I actually feel like now, um, you know, I, I'm, you know, better at dealing with uh, with adversity, which I guess makes sense, right? It's kind of the whole, uh, it's how you kind of grow as, a, as an athlete, as a person, and, and everyone kind of goes through their journey in their own way with that as well. So I'm overall, I'm in a great place and, and ready for, for anything. Well, and of course you're here. I mean, you'll be playing in a feature match at the Winnipeg Lawn Tennis Club on Tuesday night in the first round of the Winnipeg National Bank Challenger. This is an event that, um, to be honest, I think has been somewhat under the radar for a few years. And now with it not being around like so many other things for a couple of years, um, there's a lot of people finding out about this right now. Um, you're the best person to talk to. I mean, you've played in Grand Slams. You've been a Wimbledon quarterfinalist. I always find that the the level of play is so high in these events. It really surprises people knowing the quality of players coming around. Give us a little bit of an idea about what fans will enjoy if they come out and uh, see the action this week in Winnipeg. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that, that that's that's the tough part about tennis is, you know, there's there are these major events where that, you know, everyone knows of or hears of and watches that only a handful of players are even able to play, but, but the, the sport itself has so much depth and there are so many players that, 
um, that play a really high level that, you know, that don't have the ranking at that time to be able to play those big events. So you won't necessarily know who they are, but, but they all play a very high level. I mean, you play any challenger event and, uh, which, you know, obviously here in Winnipeg is a challenger event. And, and these are all guys that can play uh, really great tennis. So, I mean, right. Even for myself, for example, I mean, coming in here, like right from the first round, I know I'm going to have a, a tough match and I know if I'm not playing my best, um, you know, that there's a, there's a, you know, chance I or a good chance I won't I won't pass through the first round. So I have to be playing well right away, and that's uh, that's you know one of the things, right? And on the flip side, obviously, I feel like if I'm if I'm playing my my best tennis, then then I have you know great chances, and I and I like to you know hopefully go go deep this week. But but to your point, I mean, there's just so much depth, and um, I think if if you know fans come out and watch, they'll they'll see some really high level tennis, and they'll be glad they came out. At the beginning of your career, you played in some future events and some challenger events. I mean, how important were those events for you in helping you get to the next step? And I'd imagine there's many young tennis players that, you know, we're just hoping to follow in those footsteps uh, that'll be in this event this week. Yeah, for sure. I mean, well, first first and foremost, it's a necessary event that you, I mean, sorry, a step that you have to take because, you know, to grow your ranking, you pretty much have to play all these, you know, futures events or the smaller events. And I went to Mexico and South America. I mean, I went all over to, to play these um so there's there's that and then and then also it's just a learning experience it's great it kind of teaches you the grind it teaches you um how hard it is to really make it and, and how how hard you have to work and everything you have to endure and then and it's kind of like a this like test you know because a lot of guys can't can't let's, let's say get through that and and if you persevere and and you know you keep working hard and, and then you kind of come out uh come out on top after, after that experience. Cause you've, you've, um, then when you, you know, when you, let's say make it or you get to the high level, then it's, you know, you're staying in nice hotels and, and it's, it's, it's a lot, it's quite a bit easier. <laughs> you feel like, Oh, this is, this is nice. <laughs> but, uh, but every, obviously every level of, of, um, at every level there's, there are different, different challenges. Right. So it's, it's, uh, it's all relative, but, but, um, yeah, quite, quite a journey definitely to get to the, to the top of the rankings. One of the great opportunities for uh, fans here in Winnipeg this week, if they go out and see the event, is um, you know to see so much young Canadian talent. And you know, you've been a central figure in the rise of Canadian tennis over the last ten plus years. Um, I mean, how different? How different is tennis in Canada right now? Uh, both at the at the top level with pros as well as at the grassroots, as opposed to uh, maybe when you were breaking in originally in events like these. Yeah, it's totally different. I mean, uh, obviously now there, there are a lot of eyes on the sport, um, a lot of interest. I mean, you know, initially with, with Jeannie and Milos and myself, we kind of came up at the same time. Um, and then, you know, now Dennis and Felix and Bianca and, and Layla, they're, they're, they're kind of paving the way for the next generation as well. So I think whenever, you know, you have success as a nation or, you know, within the sport, obviously it draws a lot of attention and, 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 um, which you know in turn then breeds more success and more interest and more kids are playing and more kids want to do well and they have the confidence and the belief that they can do it and, and they're you know driving towards a a goal and um i think you know but but that obviously had to start somewhere i think one of the one of the big things that that happened along the way and the big changes that i see you know within the infrastructure of, of tennis in canada is is um you know kind of how how much tennis Canada and their training centers and, and, um, how they've evolved and developed. And, uh, I mean, early on there was very, very little. And now, uh, you know, they brought in a, a, the head of sports development, I mean, of, of, uh, junior development, 
in France and he came in, made huge changes, brought in really good coaches and really brought in a system. And so now with all this interest that there is, I mean, these, these young players and the young generation, they have kind of this backbone or this platform that they can kind of stand on and they can, um, you know, have a really good opportunity to maximize their potential, which, which, uh, like I said, that infrastructure wasn't there. Um, you know, when I was starting out, that's for sure. My dad coached me until I was 20. Right. So, um, but now things have, have definitely changed and, and the sport is very healthy in Canada. You know what? I, I just, you know, you mentioned your dad, um, coaching you as a teenager. Um, you know, there's a lot of infrastructures you just mentioned that goes into a number of these ch- kids. I mean, when was professional tennis even on your radar? I mean, give us a little bit of idea, because to be honest, growing up as a huge tennis fan, it didn't even seem realistic that Canadians would do what you've right. done and what the young men are doing right now. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I'm uh, I'm definitely very fortunate because my I mean, professional tennis was on my radar from the age of five because my my dad, my dad, you know, my parents immigrated from uh, Czech Republic. They escaped the communist regime there and then they came to Canada. It's a small town. And my dad just became completely obsessed with tennis. And, you know, he was a recreational player. He wasn't a former professional or or, um, and he just started reading books and magazines on how to coach and was watching, you know um matches on tv and and then yeah he just became very passionate i think um if it wasn't for for him i i mean there's obviously no way i'd be where where i am i think it just kind of um you know really beat all the odds i feel like if i'd known how hard it was to to make it out of a small town vernon with only a few cracked uh tennis courts and, and a high school um you know maybe if i if i wasn't so young and naive i would think twice about it but but I'm obviously very glad that that uh, it was just my dream from a very young age, and and uh, my dad, you know, and my parents and family, they sacrificed a lot, and they they drove the horse. I mean, my dad was the one that really, um, you know, just kind of pushed me in a, in a in a in a really good way, and and I love the sport. And without without them, obviously, it's yeah, it's it's tough. It's 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 dedication from a young age. I think if I hadn't you know from the age of five if I was like oh I want to be a professional tennis player I, I don't think I, I wouldn't be here you know I, so uh, I think if I if I had decided that at the age of 12 or 13 especially where I was um there's no way that that uh I'd be where I am at least in my, my opinion <laughs> wow I mean listen I mean it's uh it, it's an interesting path and it's one that um you know hopefully a lot of young Canadians that are right now in this event this week might have, um, well, I'm sure they do have a little bit more uh, behind them. But at the end, when you get out there on the court, it's one-on-one and you got to do it yourself. You're, I mean, certainly from singles, and correct me if I'm wrong, but maybe the height of your career was that run to the Wimbledon quarterfinals. That's a long way from Vernon, BC. Um, what do you remember about that run um, with your greatest singles? Reserve? Because, I mean, you've won Grand Slams, you've won Wimbledon as a doubles player. Um, mm-hmm. But what that was like for you, how magical that run was. And uh, I'd imagine the family was probably there too. I mean, for that journey that you and your dad started so long ago, I mean, I guess it doesn't get much better than that. Yeah, no, ironically, they I they didn't want to leave Vernon. I think that they didn't want to break the, um, I guess, superstition or something when I started winning. They didn't want to. They didn't want to change anything. I remember messaging my brother, and he was like, "No, we're not. We're not coming." <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> but uh, but my my oldest brother was there when I when I won the doubles title, so that was that was super special. And um, but yeah, I mean, just yeah, amazing. Um, yeah, those were all kind of like pinch me moments, and I'll, definitely when I when I look back at my career and and um, you know, kind of 
take take a, a bigger look at what, what I accomplished, I'll be extremely proud. Right now, obviously, I'm still so dialed in, and I'm still you know trying to 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 you know reach the next level and and have you know more results in the sport that I don't really think so much about you know how how amazing these these accomplishments have been and 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 um but for sure like you know the Wimbledon quarterfinal singles the Wimbledon the doubles title um along with even the the my my breakout event in Montreal when I made the semis of the masters like those are all the three you know probably the most special and Davis Cup final as well uh with Dennis uh, 2019 I mean, those are those are uh, kind of the four um, most special uh, weeks of, of my career, for sure. I'm glad you mentioned Davis Cup because I didn't want to get to that. I mean, you are synonymous with this rise of Canadian tennis. I know you're incredibly a proud Canadian. Um, you know, to be on that team along with sort of this new generation being, I mean, what was that like? I mean, going to the Davis Cup final and um, you played a lot of things for Canada before, but to have that success and have it be as big of a story it was here and around the tennis world. I mean, uh, where does that rank amongst uh, the most special things that you've done in your career? Yeah, I mean, right up there. I, I, I mean, like, like I said, I, I can't even, I can't uh, really separate you know, between the doubles title or the, the singles quarterfinals or the Davis Cup finals. I mean, those are um, to play for your country and to have, you know, to kind of, you know, make history. It was the first time that Canada's ever made the final Davis Cup. And we did the same thing with Milos in 2013, 14, 2014, where we made the semis. That was the first time we'd ever made semifinals. We lost to Serbia. Um, and yeah, those are, I mean, those are the most special weeks some of the most memorable weeks of my of my career in my life were the davis cups just playing for your country playing with the team um you know kind of growing up always wanting to, to to play for canada and play davis cups and you see all these incredible matches and nestor when he beat edberg um you know when he was world number one and these are all all things that kind of stay in your mind and and make it that much more special when you're there so uh yeah like i said i mean just um you know, pretty, pretty amazing. And obviously now we have such a young, impressive team, you know, we have Dennis and Felix and we have many young guys now that are even here in Winnipeg this week that, that are, that are coming up, that are going to be great players. And I think we have a really exciting future. Well, I, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned that because of course, Felix played in some of these events too. I'm sure Chapo at some point. And um, I mean, it, it is so exciting to be a Canadian tennis fan right now, but this next group of players that we'll be talking about in two or three years may very well be cutting their teeth right now at this event. Hey, Vasek, before we go, I, I mean, we as as tennis fans, when you're know, watching it on TSN or whatever, I mean, normally we're getting the singles competition. Um, but you've been incredibly successful in doubles. You're a Wimbledon champion in that. I just wanted to ask you, I mean, for the big events, the Grand Slams, if you're playing singles and playing doubles, how challenging is that to work around your schedule, preparing, being at your best for both games? I mean, uh, um, and, and how many players do both right now? It's really difficult. I mean, it's just like anything in life, right? If you put, if you put uh, wherever you put energy and, you know, in some, you only have so much time in the day and so much energy to put towards something. And, and so wherever you put a certain amount of energy, it takes away from something else. And, and um, so if you really want to maximize uh, let's say your singles ranking or performance, you know, or, or same goes for doubles. Let's say if you want to focus on doubles, um, you know, if you put more, I mean, if you put more energy into doubles, if you're focused on singles, it's, I think it has its time and place and it's good. It can actually help if, you know, the singles game, but, but overall it's just so tough to manage and it takes energy away. And if you're playing 
you know, if you play a long singles match and the, the best thing for you to do would be to rest because you're playing the next day if you win, but then you have a doubles match later that afternoon, it's, you know, that then takes away from your preparation and the, your mental uh, energy. And so, and for that reason, I haven't really played very much doubles actually for the last, you know, four years, which, which, um, you know, cause I just, I really wanted to, to concentrate on singles and, and try to get my ranking uh, back up as high as possible. So it's really tough to do both. I know for a couple of years I was doing it. I was in 2014, 15 and 16, um, you know, I was playing, but even, even those years, I, I, I only played, I think, you know, like 11, 12 doubles events uh, a year. So I was trying to find a balance, but uh, it's very tough. Yeah. Well, uh, the focus will be on singles Tuesday night, your first round match at the National Bank Challenger. Um, folks, if you want to find out more about the event, um, you can go to Tennis Manitoba or the website is winnipeg.nationalbankchallenger.com. Um, tickets are available to walk up. I and mean, it's a big, big event for, you know, this city. And it's just so great to have top pros here and certainly someone that we've uh, enjoyed watching so much during your career, Vasek. Uh, hope you continue to stay healthy. Have a great tournament this week. Hopefully we'll see you playing in the final. And it'd be nice to see a Canadian win the trophy here in Winnipeg this week. Yeah. That'd be nice. Yeah, that'd be nice for sure. No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for it. I'm looking, I'm looking forward to the challenge. We really appreciate you joining us. Good luck this week. Yeah, and thanks, thanks for having me. All right. Great stuff with Vasek possible. Thanks to him for jumping on the uh, WST today. I actually caught up with him after the show yesterday. He is playing tonight. I think around seven 30 um, tickets are available and just look up national bank challenger. Uh, and um, get on out there to uh, the spot right beside the old Wildwood Club in Fort Gary. Should be a great tournament. All right. Uh, hey, Bombers, we will speak more on the Bombers coming up in the next couple days. Uh, apparently, and we'll get this from Remo in a minute, Calgary dealing with some of the similar things that the Riders dealt with last week. Uh, of course, Princess Auto is a proud sponsor of the Bombers, and the place to be before every Bomber game is the Princess Auto tailgate party. With $5 beers, $3.50 hot dogs and pops, DJ finesse spinning, prizes from the Princess Auto crew. And, of course, Princess Auto is a great supporter of Winnipeg Sports Talk and the place where you'll find the best deals on the most unique assortment of tools and equipment around. Everything you need to complete the project on your list or start something new is at Princess Auto. Visit them at two Winnipeg locations, Panit Road, Portage Avenue West, or shop online 24-7, 365 at princessauto.com. Uh, I think I mentioned this yesterday. Great turnout at Super Spike after a couple years off. Uh, my pal Greg Poseshnik and his team working so hard on that. Uh, and, of course, Canadian Club and the CC and Ginger were was everywhere there uh, on the weekend. Volleyball players enjoying a couple cold ones. There were some beers. But for folks that are over beer, CC and Ginger was the drink of choice. You can pick it up right now, ready to drink in six packs at your favorite beer store. And of course, along with all the great selection of Canadian club products at your local Manitoba liquor marts. And if you're going to the next bomber game, make sure to try one at IG field. Of course, CC is the official spirit of the bombers and available throughout IG field. All right. Let's get to the cool bet lines and uh, Remo. Well, here, Remo, before we get to the cool bet lines, what are we hearing about the Calgary Stampeders right now? Uh, you were just mentioned to me as we finish up the Vasic Pospisil article that uh, got a bit of a COVID issue with the Stamps. Yeah, they just came off the bye, and Jeff Hamilton reporting, or at least Dave Dickinson said after practice that, you know, sorry, this is 
I got to get the reporting credits right. Danny Austin saying Dickinson says there's some COVID and some pneumonia with the players who are missing. I'm not exactly sure who's missing, but this is something, you know, that can spread around the room. We saw what happened with Saskatchewan last week. Their game had to be uh, pushed back a day. So we will. So who's not there? Kadeem Carey, Den- Derek Dennis, Fraser Sopic, Tommy Stevens, Jameer Thurman, second day in the row. So Kadeem Carey, and I mean, if you're playing fantasy, uh, I think Logan is the name of his backup. Maybe that's someone you want to play. We did see what Carey did to the Bombers last game. So he was huge. A lot of uncertainty with the rosters on both sides. But I'm, I don't know if I'm comfortable laying, laying any bets as we look at the Cool Bell lines. Yeah, well, let's get to those. And hey, just before we get to the CFL, I just looked up. If you click on tennis at Cool Bet, the ATP Winnipeg Challenger is is uh, is available. And our guy Vasek, who just joined us, is at minus one forty seven. I thought he'd be a much bigger favorite. Hey, WST bump in effect. We talked about it with Dalton Schoen last week. We got to get a first round win for Vasek. I'd love to see him roll through the tournament and play on the weekend. Would be great for the event. Um, so minus 147 for Vasek. Count me in on that. Uh, you can check out all the other matches for the Winnipeg Challenger at Coolbet. Just click on the Canadian flag ATB Winnipeg Challenger. And, um, of course, there's also doubles as well at the Winnipeg National Bank, although probably won't dive into that because, I'll be honest, I'm not familiar with most of the players with the exception of Pospisil and Kyle Edmund, who right now is up a set and 4-2 in his first-round match in the second set. All right, updated CFL lines. If you want to get, I, I, I will say this, Barry Horowitz, myself, Justin and I had an incredible breakdown of the CFL games this week on the Lock Shop. If you have not already subscribed to it, our sports betting podcast, wherever you get Winnipeg Sports Talk, put in the Lock Shop and subscribe. And, of course, you can check out myself or Dusty's um, Twitter feed for the video broadcast of today's program. Um, Hamilton, two-and-a-half-point favorites over the Alouettes. BC is now up to two-and-a-half. That opened at one-and-a-half. I think that probably gets to three by game time. So if you do want BC, I think the time to get it is now. The Bombers are a one-point favorite. This opened up as essentially a pick, a minus 110 on either side. And there's been a little bit of early action on the Bombers, who are a one-point favorite right now. And that money line, which was even yesterday, is now Bombers minus 125 and Calgary plus 103. Final game on the docket is the Argos and the Red Blacks. Toronto, a minus five-and-a-half-point favorite at home against Lapo's winless Red Blacks. Uh, if you haven't used... Uh, Cool bet before you use the promo code WST on your first deposit and uh, we'll hook you up with a 100% bonus up to $200 on your first deposit. All right, Remo, let's get to it. Uh, you didn't think you had any winners last night, but I was going through the uh, results from Assiniboia Downs and I'm like, I'm pretty sure Michael Remus took by y'all yesterday and by all did co- did win sort of salvage the night for you. I did not have a great start to the week, but uh, I'm ready to go. But uh, you had the wins last night. Why don't you start away with uh, your live racing picks? Don't forget Assiniboia Downs live tonight, post time 7.30, and again tomorrow, 7.30 out at the track. Yeah, here are my picks as I go in. And yeah, I, I had looked at my first three. I didn't win. I didn't, so I didn't even bother checking. I was like, well, this one's for sure going to be a loser. But by all did win. So I was about even yesterday. That's fine. We'll go on the on the horses. The whiskey worked. I'm in on what the whiskey worked uh, to win. 
That, that horse was there when we were at the Downs the other time, and we were all on that. Yeah. That was a fun one. Um, race two, I'm on a Quinella here with Soul Obsession and Snazzy Dresser. That's a $10 Quinella. And race seven, I'm on horse three to win. Wits, Queso. Love Queso. Oh, really I good on actually, chips. I was looking at that one. So those are your picks. I really spread it out. I got a little piece. I've taken my 20 bucks and I've spread it all over. Uh, race number one, I got two bucks on four to win. Mission Reality, actually the long shot in race number one. Race number two, we're going to $3 Quinella on four five. Wits Coco and the favorite Snazzy Dresser. Race number three, throwing down a toonie on number seven to win. Moses on main. Race number four, we're uh, going three bucks on number six to win, Spy a Star. Race number five is going to be the bigger bet. We're going with the Triactor Box, a $6 wager with seven, Harry Keep the Change, with number six, Spy a Star, and we're going to throw in Not Afraid. Or sorry, no, Not Not Afraid. I think we're going with uh, Striking Oil in that one. Let me just make sure on that. What race uh, is that? This is race number, oh, excuse me, race number five. That's why I'm not looking at it right. Burrow Down, who is the heavy favorite, Inspiritus, and Kim's Texas Bling. Love that name. We've seen uh, Kim's Texas Bling run a couple times. Uh, race six, a 6-7 Quinella uh, with horses Go Wit Go and Critical Condition. And then the final race, number seven, we got a Toonie on number one, Wits Memories to win. HPIBet.com is the website where you can bet along with us. You can watch the races from the track at the ASD, AS Downs YouTube channel. But the best place to go is to get out and enjoy it in person. Post time tonight is 7.30. Yeah, great show today, Reem. Yeah, here are a couple, uh, couple notes uh, a couple notes here before we wrap, wrap up. This has been fun with Ken, uh, Darren from Calgary, and uh, Vasek Pospisil. Pretty Buffet cool. He was full today. Hearing him talk about, yeah, Ken, I mean, I joke, Vasek was like waiting in the green room forever <laughs> for Ken to catch it, for Ken to finish up. I love it. He had a lot to say. Today. Went back for multiple plates, Ken. Uh, <laughs> it was cool hearing Vasek Pospisil talk about playing in these big events like the Davis Cup and Wimbledon. And he's here in Winnipeg playing tonight, and you can bet on him on Cool Bet. That was pretty cool. <laughs> but there was an, uh, some notes someone mentioned in chat. Uh, Mark Stewart hired as assistant coach in Edmonton under, uh, sorry, it's Jay Woodcroft there, right? Stu? Yeah, Stu. Like Mark Stewart. Really? Yes. John Butchergross tweeting that today, saying... Uh, saying Mark Stewart is leaving to be in a leaving college. Where was he? CC? Where's that? Colorado well, he College. Was, he was working with what? What? I guess it was with his brother Todd Woodcroft. Yes, and now he's leaving to become an assistant coach with the Oilers. So pretty cool. Congratulations to Stu. That was um, that's great because I think he was in some sort of a volunteer position with Woodcroft last year. You know, he'd done some development stuff with True North and the Moose earlier. Uh, I'll tell you what, that's a great opportunity for Mark Stewart. Yes. He was a volunteer. Yes, Butchergrass. Here's the here's the tweet. Speaking. This is from today. Uh, he was with Colorado College's alma mater, and then before that, he was at uh, UVM Vermont with huh. J with Todd Redco Woodcroft. But he was a volunteer 
position with Todd. To start off, but last year he was at Colorado College. Colorado. So, so uh, you know, good. getting some NCAA experience and uh, now anyways, congratulations to Stu. Um uh, and uh, wishing him all the best, except when they play the Jets. Okay, one other note. This is kind of people are kind of mad online about it. There's a lot oh. of opinions. So the LA Kings announced that next year, February eleven, they're gonna be retiring Dustin Brown's number twenty-three and Unveiling a statue of him uh, in front of, sorry, Crypto.com Arena, it's now called. Uh, People are with mad online about this for some saying reason? Saying that when you look at the, yeah, well, first of all, he's a King's legend, was a captain for two Stanley Cups, leader yeah. in games played, um, played for the only organization ever, the Kings. People are saying he's not worthy going, being a statue next to other LA greats, like many of the Laker players and and Gretzky, let me get, including your your boy Gabe Morency. He's not happy. Thinks he's not worthy. Come on, Gabe. Well, Gabe's got all sorts of takes. Hey. I'm always here for them. I don't so, necessarily always agree. This, so here's the athletes and broadcasters of the statues outside the arena. Gretzky, Robitaille, Magic Johnson, Shaq, Jerry West, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Bob Miller, Chick Hearn, Oscar De La Hoya, Elgin Baylor, soon to join them, Dustin Brown. And I yeah, guess I have lit- no problem with that. I mean, captain of those two cup yes, winning teams. I, I mean, I agree. I mean, how, how many cups did Robitaille and Gretzky win? Zero. Yeah. So, I mean, like, listen, I know it's a star based uh, market, but I mean, to me, the Brown statue is almost uh, a tribute to those teams overall. I mean, you can't do everybody on them. He's been the captain, finished his entire career, franchise leader, and games played right. I don't know. I, I give them, listen, I think it's cool. They well, can do whatever the heck they want. And the Kings need a little bit more representation. And maybe it'll remind them when they were a powerhouse in the league winning those cups. Yeah. Kopitar, Drew Doughty, I'm sure, gets one at some point. Well, Kopitar, I think he's going to be, he's going to get one too. And now Lakers fans are butthurt that Kobe doesn't have a statue. Well, take it up with the Lakers ownership. That's not Dustin Brown's fault. Kobe doesn't have one yet? I know. How weird is that? Okay, well, okay, that's a so, guy that they should. They so, might want to get on screwed that up. one as well. Someone, if Kobe doesn't have one, someone, someone screwed up. Although maybe I don't, I don't know what's going on um, with the relationship there with you know with his family and the team. But it does, you know, you think that he would be deserving of one. Well, he is deserving of one. I don't think there's any doubt. Sorry, about no, that. there is no doubt. <laughs> like, yeah. There's, yeah, that's not a conversation yeah. as to when it so, happens. I guess we'll see. Statue W Winnipeg statue talk. Finishing up WST yeah, Winnipeg. Today. Well, I think there's going to be an unveiling here of the Howard Chuck statue um, in the preseason. Absolutely. Uh, and certainly there's no one in this city with a brain that would object to Dale Howard Chuck getting a statue outside the arena. We need, would be a great we need statues here. Um, I remember I, I went to a White Sox game a couple of years ago. One of the highlights for me was walking around the concourse, uh, seeing all the statues. Um, heck, they had a statue of. Uh, I know who you're going to say. My, well, first of all, they had that like a Harold Baines and Carlton Fisk, but they had a statue of Jeff Blum. Jeff he had, Blum, because right. he had a, a massive <laughs> hit in the World Series, like a huge home run for them in the 05 World Series. And we, he's an Astros analyst now. He played for the Expos, and we had him on. And I think I spoke to him off air. I'm like, Jeff, I saw your statue at USA, whatever the hell it's called now, Guaranteed Rate Field. Yeah, and he's like, man, well it's pretty, he's like. It's Pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> like, like it's Jeff Plum. He's got. A, I mean, so 
I mean, you can't argue. Dustin Brown people deserves- celebrate championships, and that like yes. if it, like if the Kings never won a championship, there's no statue. But he was the captain for two cup wins, played his entire yes. career there. Give him the damn statue. Uh, Jeff Cabilla says Kenny Omega and Jericho should get a stand. We should get some wrestling. Well, yeah, what's what's all the Bitcoin? We're getting all these Bitcoin spam bots in chat. Well, yeah, Love Loveface got a new job. She's been hired by the crypto <laughs> the crypto lobby and uh, has popped in. Bit invest X Y Z earn money on the crypt. No one's earning money on the crypt right now. F Y I. So uh, hey, watch out for that link if you're with us on the YouTube. Okay, one other thing that I know we got to go. One other thing that came out over the weekend: the Canucks reverse retro might be leaked. Did you see this? Yeah, the Johnny Canuck jersey. I'm down with that. Hell of a lot better than that no. god awful V. No, no. This is the jersey. I'm gonna bring it up. Aesthetic saying I haven't been able to confirm, but this does appear. No, they should have gone. I got this one behind me. They should have done this one. The '96 third jersey. Do that one. <laughs> Do that one. Jeez, you're I'll, a psycho. No, that, uh, Canucks, that. this is not a Canucks jersey. I think the Abbotsford uses this. Photo is something from the from the 90s. Johnny Canuck, way cooler than the 90s. 90. I, I always thought that those were the 80s into the 90s, just terrible unis. Mind you, I also grew up hating the Canucks, and we uh, they took care of us in the playoffs a couple times, mm. and the Jets blew a 3-1 lead against them. So maybe there's some... Maybe there's some deep-rooted feelings for that for that right team. Here. I always think of Burray in that one. Didn't Burray wear that for a season? I think he was yeah, on the team this, when they rocked yeah, those. I think, yeah, yeah, and he wore those. I used to read them all the time in uh, NHL 97 on PC. Great jerseys. Lots of statue comments. We'll, we'll do it we'll, on a slower day in August. Maybe we'll do a power poll of people that should get statues that don't have one already. We'll do that. But that being said, as you mentioned, we do got to go because we got to get this podcast up for uh, for everybody. Hammer Hammer's going to come on tomorrow. Uh, looking forward to talking to him both about what we've seen and heard from the Jets this week, including Pierre-Luc Dubois, as well as a look ahead to Saturday night with the uh, Bombers and Stampeders. We'll have much more on what's happening in and around the National Hockey League. Maybe talk a little golf. I've been meaning uh, another, another live event this week. Maybe we'll see if Feinberger Dubsy wants to jump on. Uh, but we'll have the latest Jets news, Bomber news, and more. You know where to find it. Winnipeg Sports Talk, live at 1 o'clock on YouTube. Hit that red subscribe button if you haven't already for you YouTubers. And podcast listeners, thanks so much for making us a part of your day. Tell a friend on how they can get in on Winnipeg Sports Talk and where they can find us. Thanks again to all the sponsors. Have a great night tonight. Gold Eyes are back at home. Might hit up the ballpark or the track. Um, bottom line is I know where I'll be tomorrow in less than 22 hours. Right here, talking to you on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Have a great night, and thanks for being with us. Oh, my God. Oh! Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.